Good evening, everybody. It's Andrew Davis from Toon Talk Radio. How is everybody this evening? Well, it's been an above-average weekend for Newcastle. We won again. Hey, Sunderland in the deep blue yonder. God, who knows where they go from here. Middlesbrough actually won a game. Shock, horror. Even I couldn't believe that one with um, the defensive manager they've got. Well, you can get us on various platform this evening it's www.toontalk.co.uk or www.novaradio.co.uk and you can also listen back to the show at the end of this evening but as you can imagine we're bringing in one of the, the legends of Newcastle United and Sunderland let's not forget that he played for both clubs and also Liverpool the flash lads in the in the in the colours of red so good evening to Barry Venison how are you doing Good evening, Andrew. How are you? By the way, I was not involved in the flashlights with those white suits. Let's pull the record straight. I wouldn't be seen dead in one of them white suits, Ronald and Hopkirk. That was a bad decision. Not that I haven't made any bad decisions when it comes to jackets in the past, but that was not. I was not part of that at all. So I want. I want that on. I want that on the record. <laughs> but have you got? Have you still got the suit? Well, the, the pink suit or, or the white one? I've still the got the white many. one. No, I, I, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in that. I'd left the club by then. That was, that was the younger lads. That was, uh, you know, like Jamie, Jamie Redknapp, Steve McManam, and those lads, Robbie Fowler. I, I'd, left, I'd left then by the time I they were them. throwing that gear on. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd, I'd grown up by then. I'd matured. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about maturing, uh, tell everybody what you've been doing in L.A. Obviously, Warren Barton's out there, I know as well. He's a, a regular on my show as well. So tell, tell the folks what you've been up to because obviously management or coaching... Um, uh, from a guy that went, I actually thought when you were uh, obviously in England, I think you became a pu- kind of a pundit, and you went down an absolute storm, and then all of a sudden you've you've obviously left our shows to go abroad. So you tell tell the folks what you've been up to. Yeah, I mean that was a long time ago. I, I, yeah. I, when I retired, I went into uh, I was working for Sky and I went ITV mm. for five or six years with ITV, and then then I left there and came here fourteen years ago. So it's not as if it was yesterday or. Mm. or you know, recently. So I've been here 14 years, but just just recently, the last couple of years, I've been I've been heavily involved in, in football here. I got I got invited to um, to go down and work at uh, at a local club down in Orange County. I'm in Los Angeles, but mm. that's a 90-minute drive south. But um, mm. well, I went in there as the as the coach and and uh, technical director, and and day to day, and we ended up doing really well. We mm. We won the Western Conference in the USL, which was unheard of because the team, the team that we started with, finished bottom of the league the year before. So um, transformed that, and then we had another good season this season where we got again made history. We uh, we got to the semi-final of the playoffs and unfortunately got beat, but thoroughly enjoyed it. So on a day-to-day basis, working with the lads and helping them improve and you know developing them and evolve. As players and as as men, as people mm-hmm. too. So, thoroughly enjoyed it. And Warren's on the telly. He's on TV over here. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's obviously he's, do, he's doing quite well as well. But I think the I think the the hardest thing, like when you were a footballer, did you ever think? Obviously, when you were when you were here in your various clubs, did you ever think, yeah, I want to get involved in the managers 
managerial side, or is it is it just the coaching? Because obviously, there's a huge difference in managing 22 men. You know, a whole city in essence, isn't it really? So it, it must be. It, it must be a tough gig, and does does it make you feel well? You know, you know what the managers that you worked under went through just to be able yeah. to get a team out there, and in, obviously in a in a region to 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 get at it. Well, I, I don't think you think about. I, I didn't think about it consciously when I was playing, but look, I wasn't very talented when it when it came to ability, technical ability. But I, I had. I was blessed with being able to understand the game and mm. and understood what the manager was doing, what the coaches were doing, and and I was able to, hopefully, I was able to pass that on and share that with players while I actually played. So there is some part of me, I think maybe it's in your DNA that mm. you know you want to help and, and you're in a position to help and it's and you enjoy doing that. Um, mm. You know that that's and when you when you're playing a finished playing, then then it turns into something which is fulfilling. It's it's um, and yeah, there is a difference between a coach and a manager, but the terminology out here is slightly different. Where the head coach here is really the manager, mm. and to and to go out and just put sessions on for players and then walk away at the end of session and not consider anything else, that's very much a that's very much just a just a coach. Mm. Um, uh, but to, to be a manager, which I've been for for the last for the last two seasons here, is. Hey, it's 24/7. Believe mm-hmm. me. First thing, I, the first thing I think about when I wake up at 4:20, 4:30 on the morning is is the team, the lads, mm-hmm. the shape, the pressing, and all the fitness. Who's who's available? Who's not? Who's injured? Who are we playing against? What what they, what shape they play? Um, you know, what players have they got? How can they hurt us? How can we hurt them? And then obviously you've got the whole club aspect with the fans, etc. So it's it's um, I can see how it can drive people nuts. Because if if it's not something that you enjoy, you, you're churning all the time. You're churning all churning in a healthy way. You, mm-hmm. It's that's why you can never switch off. I remember Bobby Robson saying many years ago. I remember mm-hmm. this when I played. He said he'd been very selfish because. And Kevin Keegan said the same. He, he would spend time with his family, but he never really spent time with his family because when he sat there, he might be in the same room physically. But mentally, you're somewhere else. You're just absorbed in what you do. And if if you if you're not 100 percent focused and dedicated to it, then it's not. That's not the role for you. That's not the job for you. That's not. That's not. That's not what you should be doing. But for me, I love it. Uh, I, I love it. it. It charges me. It gives me. Uh, it gives me energy. And and the highs that you get from winning the game as a manager, it's it's difficult to explain because nothing. Kind of quit the plan, mm. um, but when you take responsibility and, and you get a group of lads together, you you pick them, you bring them in, you coach them, you shape them, you push them, you bollock them, mm. you drop them, you know, mm. and and you you get them to perform on the side and you win big games. It's it's ridiculously satisfying. However, the laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I doesn't drive back when we lost. I doesn't go over a big bridge because I'm going to jump off. The laws are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing. That's one thing with Kevin Keegan. I got to understand him a little bit better now because with Kevin, he was one of the most enthusiastic managers that come across. And you're right. You learn from every manager you've been under and played. Had the pleasure of playing for. Um, but Kevin's enthusiasm and he was so he was. 
he was as high as any player after a game where would a win when we won. But his lows were. Oh, he he found it difficult at times to to speak to anybody for a day or two. He was just uh, devastated. And there's got to be a, there's got to be a balance in there somewhere. Mm. Uh, and I think that probably that probably comes with um, with more experience you've got. But the, the game the game's phenomenal. Whether you whether you're playing or whether you're a manager, the the, the, the game is is a it's a massive drug, and uh, it's very difficult to stay away from it. Uh, talk, talking about massive lows, uh, I'm going to bring in Keith, uh, the, the Sunderland fan, uh, who thinks he's quite famous in his own right. But um, um, he, obviously, a Sunderland fan. He's been a big fan of yours uh, for a while, and I'm going to let him speak to you before I, I get to my other guest. But go, good evening, Keith. Uh, you're through yeah. live to um, Barry Venison, your hero, who I know you've got things on your, you had posters on your wall. You told me five minutes ago. So uh, I'm not dropping a minute, by the way, Barry. I'm just, I'm just telling him the way it is. So go ahead. Keith, how are you? Nice to speak, Andrew. Barry, nice little bit of band on Twitter today. Realistically, I've put Andrew straight. The post, if I ever did have one, would have been ripped down when you left with. But anyway, look. Uh, that's what I'm saying. When he said that you've been, you've been a fan of mine, or, or, or you've liked me for a while, I'm thinking, there's not many Sunderland supporters out there that fit that category, so something's no, not right here. That's Andrew just lying, he's been a PR. That's alright, he's, he's, he's part of the media, he's bound to lie, isn't he? But the real world, I'll tell you as it is, I mean, I, I said, Andrew, just, I was stuck in traffic on the way home, and I said, what time am I on the radio show yourself? In 1979, 78, 79, I was at the age I could actually go to Rogue Park with my pals, without my dad having to take us along, when my dad's a Newcastle fan, so that was never going to happen. So I had to wait till I was, had the freedom of jumping on the bus to go to the match myself with my pals. So you come along soon after that early 80s, and I've got to be honest, there's some of the players in that team, yourself, Nicky Pickman, Paul yeah. Gracewell, early 80s, there's some players who were great. I remember even seeing people in the Twilight Zone, Frankie Worthen when he played the season. Yeah. What a slip, slippery, greasy character. He shook my hand at the end of a match one time. And honestly, I thought, God, he's soaking wet. What a greasy fella. How's he getting the women? But he managed that as well. But... <laughs> hey, I used to, I used to room with Frank Worthen. When it, oh. it, I, I was like a little boy that was when we first squads. And for some reason, they put me and Frank together. And I'll be... I'll be there, prim and proper, you know, I'm sat there with my freaking blue flowery pajamas on, and Frank's there, you know, he's ready to go out dancing and drinking to the bleeding night. I don't know whether he went out when I went to sleep or what, but yeah, I remember it was. Hey, and I'll tell you, Big Sam Allardyce was there too. Sorry, what was that, who was? Big Sam Allardyce was there. Oh, oh well, yes, Sam, very briefly, but I mean, that era, the players that were right here, and ironic, if you do look on my Twitter account, a very brief period... Um, McCoist came along who was meant to be the yeah. next Charlie Nicholas and I, I met Ali McCoist um, at the stadium about three, four weeks ago I was hoping mm. you'd come for the manager's job to be honest but I have to move on that in a moment <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know have you announced who you, who you are supporting or your son in Newcastle have I missed that in the last 10 minutes you've missed nothing but yeah there, there is a fence involved probably no no well the, the thing was Ali, Ali lying was Newcastle no, no, well, what's funny, though, is McCoy is at the stadium, that's just what you're doing there. And he turns out, at that brief spell at Sunderland, he's a season ticket holder, he has been for years on end. Unbelievable how some players pick a club to be their team for no apparent Well, at that time, I tell you, when Ali, when Ali was done, there was players like Mick Buckley in the team, and um, I think Barry Siddle, I think he might have just left, Stan Cummins was there. But Cummins was Ali there, came yeah, down yeah, from... Definitely. 
he came, he, I can't remember which team he came from, he came to, he lived in East Kilbride, but I and I were close, I mean, we used to, <laughs> we used to go out on a Saturday night, and then we'd go up to my mother's on a Sunday and get, uh, get Sunday lunch, and my mother would do my and Ali's washing, and John Cook, by the way, John, John right, Cook, yeah. who's obviously yeah. still there as a kit man, so, we were there like three not very wise men, but that, that was, that was, a really good time there with uh, well, and Alan Durbin that. was manager. And Alan well, Durbin, Durbin was, was classy. I thought he was he very was. good, and he he had yeah. players. Colin West was just coming in on the yeah. scale of like Gary Rowell. West yeah. went on to do well north of the board and a little bit of Watford. But honestly, that again is typical of Sunderland. Mind, I think we only ever have like six, seven players when you need a squad of thirteen, fourteen. We never have enough to have an impact. And I think that was like you know with Durbin, but he he certainly had an eye for the footballers. Yourself, Pickering, Bracewell, Ian Atkins, even I read it and went on to have a good co- uh, career. Yeah, he did. Never... Well, I tell you, Alan Durbin understood the game inside out, but he, he, he understood the game, uh, was able to communicate on a, on a player's level. And I was a young lad at the time, and he brought in experienced players. But um, he, he liked that blend of experienced players and young players. But he was the type of manager who gave players, young players confidence and uh, belief in themselves. A little bit like... Uh, Keegan did at Newcastle, but uh-huh. with with Alan Durbin, I mean, I've got no idea because I don't know the the the, the, the political the side of what's happening upstairs. Yeah. But from a player's point of view, he was the top man. He he's someone who had a major influence on my career uh, because well, he was yeah, a man. Yeah. He was a man's man. He would he'd let mm-hmm. you know he let the lads go for a beer. He would, uh, but you get a, if you didn't perform, you get a bargain. If you weren't good in training, it'd be all over you. Give you a, give you a tough time. But uh-huh. I liked him. He uh-huh. he was he was close, Alan Durbin. I, 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 again, the politics saying we're, we're an extremely poor club way back then, as in wealth, you know, not the TV money had made it to the, any of the football clubs, so it was only the top three or four at the time uh, yeah. that could make an impact. So there was a reason why, and yourself handing a transfer request would be mm-hmm. relegated. That happens, you know, you're always going to lose your good players, you'll not be the first. Did you catch hell for that, Barry, when you, when you handed the transfer request in? I remember that time very clearly because actually I was, I was wanting to leave. Um, I was wanting to move on. Um, just, I can't even tell you exactly why I wanted to move on. It just wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And then I, Mike Menemy, Lawyer Mike Menemy came in and, and there was, so, yeah, so now with worse. a big reputation <laughs> came in. And, he, you know, he, Laurie said he was going to build a team around people like myself and Nick Pickering. And, and I was playing right back at the time. Well, a couple of weeks later, Laurie went and bought um, uh, George Bailey, uh, yeah, you know, a, a very experienced yeah. right back international. So I'm, I'm playing right back, and he brings in, you know, somebody who's top of the tree, so I'm not going to play right back. So I, I, I went to see him, and obviously my future wasn't there. So what I did was, if I remember, I actually wrote. It was, I wrote to all, all the... the, the, the Top clubs at the time. We said, "Look, I'm I'm available at the end of the season." So it wasn't like writing a transfer request. It was I wrote to them all, let everybody know that 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 my future wasn't at Sunderland. I was moving at the end of the season. And no I was, agent then. And I was available. No, no, I didn't have an agent at that time. Um, there was no need for Andrew, one. See, I'm I'm a young kid coming through. There was no need for one. I had a pen and a pen and paper, paper. that was good enough. Exactly. No emails, it would have been pen and paper and trying to get the address of the other pages for the football. Well, I'll no, just lick 20 stamps and off you pop. Uh, exactly. <laughs> anyway, look, as you see, that was a great time moving on. I mean, goodness me, 85 Cup final, I was there. With me. Yeah. I'd, seen, I'd been lucky enough, I'd been 
invited to, to Wembley before, but it was the first time your own team was there. He went with high hopes, and bloody hell, Asher's totally juggled the team around. I know you were captain because of Sean Elliott, yeah. but he changed the whole style. He dropped West, he just, he just changed everything. Well, we beat Norwich the week before. We went away to Norwich and beat them the week before. And Well, I think we played well, beating Chelsea uh, in the two uh, semis as well, two-leg semi, and uh, he just totally changed what he was going to do and how he was yeah. playing. And it was a mess, that, to be honest. It was probably the, the friendly final. Nothing friendly for me. It was the deflating final for me. But look at your career. Well, you know, we, on the day we missed a penalty, they got a deflected shot off, uh, exactly. off Chizzy's Chizzy. rear end. Which uh-huh. <laughs> we always exactly. hammered Chizzy because it was put down as an own goal for him, so we hammered him for that. But that <laughs> was harsh. Yeah. God, he's in my history book. It's like somewhere I really rated. Man, what a classic. Yeah, he was. And he went on to do well north of the border as well. So everyone who leaves us as well, except for you, you had a nightmare since you left us. But the other lads have went on and done well. Lefty <laughs> and Chisholm. <laughs> well, you, buddy, have a thought for you. I'm going to tell you, Mrs. what you said there, by the way. But, uh, no, no, look, it was, it was a good time then, and they all wrote a pop, but the times move on. Look, at you not fancy popping back the Sunday and the things come out of retirement? We don't need your legs anymore, just your brain, maybe. And uh, yeah, I mind. never had a brain. That was the issue. I could just run around and kick people. I never had a brain. No technical ability, no brain. I feel sorry for David Moyes at the minute. That, that is one tough, tough job he's got there. I mean, it's even tougher now than it, than it was a month ago. That is a tough job. Well, why is, he, why is David Moyes not getting more... Like, Barry, you would know this especially when the joy that you had with Newcastle compared to, to Sunderland. But um, when you've got David Moyes in, you know, on, on the, on the touchline, um, like I'm surprised, considering that it's a Premiership Cup, he should be acting like Conte, Mourinho, they should, should be going absolutely bonkers in his players, and it's like flatlining. Yeah, I mean, every manager's got a different style. You see Arsene Wenger sat still and pretty pretty quiet and you've got you've got Conte who's a heart attack when I'm absolute lunatic if you look at Simeone at Atletico Madrid he, he's similar and then they get managers who are somewhere in between but David Moyes is not going to change his managerial stroke coaching style uh, at Sunderland I, I think rather than criticise David Moyes I, I think people should be taking the hat off to Sam Allardyce because he had pretty much the same group of players but he wrung every little ounce of juice out of those players Correct. over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and it's, David Moyes just unfortunately hasn't been able to manage that. But I, I, I think what Sam did was bordering on superhuman. I mean, it's, he didn't go and win any championships, but to, to do what he did with that group of players, which is you know, it's, not, it's not the most gifted squad in the Premiership, in, in the Premier League, sorry. And it's... It, to get those results consistently, the belief um, and the spirit uh, plays a big part of it, which is what Kevin Keegan was really good at. He was lucky enough where he had a really good squad that was pushing at the opposite end of the table, but to get the spirit and the belief and the camaraderie, it's, it's something which is difficult to explain. It's very difficult to pull together and achieve, but if you get it, then you're on a crest of a wave, and Sunderland are flat at the moment, obviously really flat. Well, you mentioned Keegan there. Basically, in in fairness, he was at the wrong end of the first division when he came in. The old first, uh, the old second yeah, he division. Was. Sorry, he was. And so he he got a, a club from a bottom place, and he had them confidently picked players to suit. He got them to win a championship. 
as in the old uh, television, yeah, and got them yeah. up. And yes, ultimately the money then followed because he proved himself. And he got he, he was at the right end of the league, but he was motivational and inspirational. I mean, you know, he just he had something about him where Moyes. Okay, I'm not going to rave too much about a Newcastle team or a manager, but <laughs> Keegan did have something going on. But Moyes just seems to be lacking in all departments. Sam, when you're on about um, being a man's man back in the day of Durban, Sam seemed to have all them characteristics, but still in the modern era, he, he just seemed yeah. to, he got everything out of everybody. He had the fans backing him. Moyes is still getting his name shouted out of goodwill because I don't want him to feel I've been on here every week. I'm sick actually bleeding about him now. I want him to succeed, of course I do, because he's the manager of my team, and I'd rather him be a good manager of my team than him to say, God, the bloody manager. But the players as well, they've got a lot to answer for. They're coming out, and they're all over the shop in the defence at the moment. You know, they've got to look at themselves as well, but ultimately, there is one man who gels them together. You mentioned how what your role is. You shape the team, and you drop the players. Moyes is the man, ultimately. It's always the manager who's going to be the one who gets called and from yeah, me. Yeah, you take all the responsibility and I tell what you feel. I mean, I, for me over here in, in a com- completely different lower level, you do feel you're 100% responsible for, that's why you feel a lot of pride when you win games and, and you're doing yeah. well and put a couple of wins back to back. But you can't sleep at night. I mean, you can't sleep at night because it is your response. Every single aspect. When you go through the game, after a game, David Moyes going after the game and he watch every game. And you, you know that, that's one of the first things you do. Go back and see what you've done well and where you struggled, where you were poor. And sometimes you sat there and it's absolutely brutal what you're looking at. It's brutal. It's 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 hard to watch it. But ultimately, it's your responsibility because it's what you've done in training or haven't done in training. It's how you've right. how you've passed on the messages or not passed on the messages. How you've lifted them. Have you trained them too hard? Have you not trained them hard enough? Are you giving them too much information? Are you not giving them enough? You know, are, are, the, are, the, are, the, are the fit enough, or the bright enough, or are the, are the light enough mentally? All those things come into play on the Saturday for a game. And if, if, if there's one or two things not quite right, especially with the, with the level of the Premier League now, it's, you've got to be, Sullivan have to be at the absolute maximum. Every player has to be at their maximum every single game from minute zero to 96. And it's impossible to do that. When you play a team like Arsenal, I watch the game. When you play a team like Arsenal, Arsenal's one of the best teams in the league, without a doubt. Well, and you're not going to see much of the ball. Minutes. You're going to get the run around. You're going to have little spells where you get a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of pressure, especially when you're at home. But it, that's the difference. You look at Arsenal and you look at where Sunderland are. There's, I mean, oh. it's Grand Canyon Light years. Light years. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's uh, obviously Neil's actually on the line now from Dubai, my co-host. All right, guys. Finally online, thanks to the vagaries of the telephony system in the bloody Middle East. But never mind, I'm here, at last. They can build, build massive bloody towers, but they can't build a reliable telephony system. But never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, it's interesting, Neil, isn't it, when you, you hear, the, um, obviously, the, the deeply wounded animal that is Keith talking to a, a basically a, a Newcastle fan who, who is obviously... Uh, is a Newcastle fan, irrespective of what Keith is saying tonight. But um, it's interesting, isn't it, when you look at Bobby Robson and you look at his the way that he got players up and down and when he lost, and you look at Kevin Keegan and the differences right. that he, like as Barry said, he, he, wouldn't talk, he couldn't talk for a couple of days and then 
Barry is doing the same thing, obviously in LA. Mm. How how the how it's they should be obviously with the, with everything that's around a club, they, they they should be aware with I would suggest with maturity that you you can eventually let it go. Of because still there are so many games in the Neil. Look, it, it, my set his stall out when he was within within a week of being appoint, appointed. He told every Sunderland fan to dampen their expectations, and they were in the middle of a relegation battle. And that was before they'd even kicked the ball in anger. And, <laughs> and well, well, if you remember the year that, before, that, what, the first thing that Ranieri said when he came into Leicester was, all I want is to, is to get one more point, uh, mm. a point more than the, than the teams that's going down. That was what he yeah. said. When they appointed Ranieri, when he came in, I went, oh my God, what have they done? Because yeah. that was one of the first things he came out and said at his press conference. That's Basically, true. if they finish fourth from bottom, it's successful. But, That's true. Yeah. And, and so all the, all the fans were, oh my goodness, what's coming here? We're not, you know, we're going to get bad every week. But I don't know whether he just got lucky. No, he didn't. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, he had something up his sleeve. He just positioned, he positioned the the the, the club, the, the sorry, the fans and the media to have low low expectations. Low ex- he managed their expectation levels. But inside him and the players. This is the key. Him and the players would have worked every day to say, that's, you probably would have said, that's complete bollocks. Don't listen to a word that I say while I'm doing TV interviews or media interviews. This is, this is the inner sanctum, and this is what we know. We're going out to win every single game. And if we finish mid-table, we've had a, we've had a failure of a season. We need to finish top, top half of the table. That's what he would have been saying to the players. And then when they get on a little bit of momentum, then all of a sudden the sights start to look a bit higher. But he wouldn't have been saying to his players, hey, you come in here and grind and just run and tackle and make sure, you know, make sure that we just get one point more. He wouldn't have been saying that. He would have, he would have been, the, the, the words and, and, and the, the way he could do all these players would be completely different to the way he handled the media. Now, maybe that's what David Moyes intended, but it hasn't quite panned out that way. Well, I, I don't know, because he seemed to come across, he seems to have come across as dour across the board, and that's everything that I hear when I hear Keith and a lot of the people who've got sort of far better connections at Sunderland than I'll ever have. Mm. There seems to be not an absolute ounce of positivity in the club at the moment, I and that, that is, is absolutely quite worrying. Um, yeah. I mean, I know he was he was dealt a shorthand by being brought in in the circumstances he was. The FA did Sunderland absolutely no favours. We've talked about it at length on this show, with mm-hmm. Keith in particular, for, for weeks, really, that he, he's had zero transfer dealings. I understand that he's been, the only money he's been given, and Short's quite, um, quite openly said he's not going to waste his family's fortune the way Randy Lerner did at Aston Villa. And uh, and I think 25 million was the budget, and that's going to get you jack in the modern yeah, uh, yeah. Premiership yep. uh, yep. as it is. It's it, he's he's hamstrung from the start, and then he does that. I, I I just don't get it. I just don't see it. And now to be in a position where it's the officially the worst start ever in the mm-hmm. in the top flight, and that's bearing in mind there's two 19 point seasons in there for Sunderland, and it's a worst. Well, start well let's let's leave ahead seasons. six months. Now, would, would it be such a bad thing if Sunderland go down? Yeah. And then do a Newcastle. What Newcastle's doing now? Do you think, if, think you, you know, if well, Sunderland yeah, go down? Too, well, that's, that's what that. would worry me. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, would, would you would you would you think that's a good idea, Keith? 
No, look, seriously, I know Newcastle fans at the moment because it went rosy for them. It could have went a whole load sticky and oh, it, he is on out, but yeah. yeah the way to do it is fight and survive is the answer for me and find that fight. Uh, realistically, relegation, it's really a good thing and this is a total plan. Your relegation came on the back of having a decent manager in place. Had he have left and it was it was a lot of thought about was he staying or going. Had you been relegated and you were relegated without the certainty of having Benitez, if you're scratching around for a manager who could do a job for you to get back up, which is how we would be going down, by the way. We wouldn't be going down with a legend of a manager. Mm. We'd be going down with a nightmare of a man- manager. So no direct plan to get back up. So on this occasion, I'd have to say, no, I'd still fight for coming in fourth bottom again, definitely over the relegation. But something is what playing now. Uh, definitely not for me, you know, at all relegation. What was the difference? You know, you said, uh, Barry, when it came to uh, Bobby and Keegan. When So Bobby lost the game. What was the difference between him and Keegan? Because obviously Keegan well, wasn't talking. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't lucky enough to, 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 uh. to play under Sir Bobby. I, I, I played under, I, I played under a, a couple of, uh, well, two or three Newcastle managers, Kevin Keegan, mm. Uh, Graham Souness. Um, who else? So, what's Souness what's in your opinion like? Uh, because kind of he deep. likes. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. So you know, there's three. There's three there. But those those three are completely different. In fact, every manager played on is completely different. Mm-hmm. But with with with, and they've all got strengths and weaknesses. That you know, they're called human beings for a reason. They've all got strengths and weaknesses. But that's why. That's why your, your number two is really important. That's mm. why your, your wingman, uh, good cop, bad cop, that's why he's, he's really, he's vital. Because players will get, if things aren't going well, the last thing the players need is the, is the one voice coming in every day and saying, Jesus Christ, what's wrong mm. with you? You know, you're crap, you're this. Or, mm. That's where they need somebody else that they can respect and somebody they'll respond to, somebody who they know believes in them. And I think the key thing is for players, especially now, but it's, it's been across decades, players, a lot, a lot of the players will, will not respond to getting whacked and getting battered um, verbally and in training. A lot of players, especially now when it's a little bit more genteel, it's all about confidence. Players, guaranteed players play better when they're full of confidence. It's very difficult to get full of confidence when you're getting beaten every week, but... If, you, if you're not being filled full of confidence during the week, you've got absolutely no chance of going out there on a Saturday afternoon and performing at a decent level, individually or collectively. If you're not confident about yourself, if you're not confident about the team, you're not confident about your fitness, you're not confident about the shape, you're not confident about the, um, about the way things are going, you've got a, you've got a real problem. That's why the, t- the team's at the top. It's a fine balance. That's why you see teams like Arsenal get to a certain point in the season and something drops. Teams like Tottenham got to a certain point in the season last season, right near the end, and it dropped. Was it confidence? Was it fatigue? Was it a combination? But when you're at the bottom, every yard is a tough yard. Every, every, every run is a tough run. It's just Life is so much harder. When you're fighting relegation, it's miserable. The only worst thing to fight in relegation is actually being injured, where you kind of fight. Mm-hmm. So I was gonna, it's, it's yeah. tough. But the, the training sessions have to be 
constructive. I'm not telling David Moyes or Paul Bristol how to do the job. I just know as a player and as a, as a manager that it's really important that you get the players in and you get them light and you get them bouncy and you get them f- as free as they can be while, you, while you're still trying to give them that shape and belief in what you're doing. And it has to be a collective. But there has to be a lot of conversations individually. I spend most of my time, again, I'm not, I'm not comparing me to any, any manager in, in, in the English League. I haven't got that experience. But now it's all about individual conversations. You can talk to the, the, the team as a group. Of course you need to because they need to know the game plan. They need to know who they're playing against, what the shape is, you know, the spaces that they need to find. But you spend most of your time talking to individual players before, during, and after training. That's how you get the best. They need to know that you believe in them as a player. I think the one interesting thing, I, I think for Keith, when I, when you, I, I did watch Sunday game the weekend, and as Barry said, with tremendous fervour, I might add, the fact that the players have to run, they have to you know, play like there's no tomorrow and really get into teams. And the one well, thing Sam did, did, he got that out of them. And the players, you can tell, they're definitely, they're, they're waiting for something to happen. And you've got Paul Bracewell as a number two. And I think that's the thing that surprises me. There isn't more you know, fighting spirit, like tackling like crazy men, trying to get in the faces of Arsenal, who never like that type of play. Keith. Well, I'll go back and if you look at the last season, the second game when they're breaking up, throwing their bodies on the lane. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just about. Yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. I've had people literally putting their bodies on the lane. I managed to get that in sort of for you. That was at the end of the season when there was a, a battle to be had. Now, the, the players, I've got a bit of a I've said this week after week that I've been on here, Sunderland fans have not been on the back of any player during the match. Mm-hmm. OK, there's a boo at the end of 45 minutes just starting to creep in now and at the end of 90 because we're getting torn apart and it's not necessary. But Sam would have had those same defenders. All right, he's lost a couple of Kabul and that's gone, but he would have had his defensive unit he would have been on and he would have tra- trained his defensive. I know Barry's saying about one-to-ones, but he would have took his defenders and said, this is how I want you to move me. He would have worked for midfield and strikers. The defence at the moment, you know, you, we would actually have six, seven-man defence and he would be ready to take a pound and park the ball, whatever you would call it, and look for a break. And I'm not talking about long ball because Sam actually proved he had more room than that. But Moyes does not seem to have a plan, so the lads are running around like schoolboy in the playground, zigzagging all over. Now, Saturday's a bad example because Arsenal are at the top end of that Premier League, so it's a, it's a better example to, to see the differences. But still, the same thing is, they didn't defend as a unit. We had Coney, who was allegedly 18 to 20 million, had a May. You know, and these are players that should have been equal to them. There's nobody performing at the moment, with the exception of, in my view only, the four poor fellas isolated, but I think he's still got lead in his pencil, yeah. a will to win, you know, and yeah. even a penalty. You know, if confidence was low, he could have missed on Saturday, because people do miss penalties. He could have missed that, but boom, it's in. Moyes is talking nonsense, because I think we're... We were equal to them for the next 60 seconds to two minutes maximum after the, <laughs> the goal. 
it, it was you, if you listen to Moyes' interviews, yeah. I think he is deluded. deluded because yeah. You would think you would think <laughs> well, like right up the ninetieth minute, and they scored three goals in in injury time. It wasn't at all. We got a little bit of a buzz, but the fans generally have been the twelfth man, and I think Moyes switched them off. And I, again, I get what Barry said about. You see one thing to the media, but you have a different chat in the dressing room. Mm. But Moyes did literally didn't endear himself, and he he just needs to, to find a little bit of wit, a little bit of humour. You know, even if it's a wry sense of humour, he's got to have something in him. He's just he's got nothing. I mean, again, what Barry says, you see stuff like you know to the media, and he's on here now, and he said he's a Newcastle fan. But when he goes away, he'll tell the truth behind the scenes and say, Sunderland, I really love you, know. But Moyes is not playing the game with the fans. I think people are putting words in my mouth. I haven't said I'm a Newcastle fan. I haven't said that. Barry Venison, don't you lie. Don't you lie on this show. Because I will come to LA and I'll I'll get you on that beach and I'll play you. I'll give you a game of football. You will never have heard me say that I'm a Newcastle fan or a Sunderland fan. Nobody's ever heard me say that. You know why? Because since I left Sunderland, there's absolutely no way I can commit one way or the other. That's why I'm, that's why I'm permanently walking like John Wayne because I'm sat on that spiky fence all the time. I know. You're going to say you're a Liverpool fan, aren't you? Ah, see, see, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I was. I'm changing my mind now. You said I'm a Leeds fan. When I was a kid, I was a Leeds fan. So tell me, tell me when. Honestly, I used to support Leeds. So tell me, Barry, when you when you left the 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 people next door. It must have been a bit trepidation considering company Newcastle and, uh, you know, obviously Newcastle fans spot a, a worker in the team. When you actually, when you left, when you came to Newcastle, it yeah, must have been... Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, via yeah, Liverpool, yeah. Well, yeah. what happened with me was, it was, it actually wasn't a tough decision because I went from Sunderland to Liverpool I really, I really enjoyed my time at Liverpool. Fantastic mm-hmm. club, great people, and um, you know, my my football edu- education continued and went through the roof there. Of course, it would with those players mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the manager we had in Kenny. But when um, when Kevin Keegan, when I met Kevin Keegan, he wanted me to go to Newcastle, and it, of course, going from a red and white shirt to a black and white shirt, even Liverpool is 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 in between. It, it, it was the thought that had to be considered. Of course, I had to process it. But okay, to, to go with Kevin Keegan, what he was talking about doing, uh, and he, we know what he's like. He's, he's very, very good w- with, with the media. He's very good with players. He's very good at selling you something. Um, and I just listened to him. I just listened to what he had to say, what he was going to be doing, who he was going to be bringing in, what his ambitions were. And, and yes, I knew it was going to be a, a, a challenge. Uh, that there's going to be scepticism. But I had no doubt in my mind it was the right decision. Now, what I didn't bank on, I didn't bank on us starting the season by winning, I don't know, did we win the first 11, 13, 11 first 13 games? Neil, no. First, first uh, 11, we either won the first 11 or 13 first games. First or on, first so 11. stupid that. That was first 11. Yeah. First 11 games. So after, no. and, and the, the, the thing about my game as, as a player, nobody could ever accuse me of, of not being 100%. Didn't matter what shirt. So at Sunderland, I give absolutely everything I had for Sunderland. Everything, without a doubt. 
Now, what I gave to Sunland as a kid at 17, 18, 19, 20 year old was then changed and transformed into a whole different package via my Liverpool six years to what I could bring to Newcastle. But it was still 100% of what I had. What I, now I was bringing a little bit more experience, a little bit more understanding of the game, a little bit more banked success and what it takes to be successful on the field, off the field, on the training ground, as a group, as a team, as a squad. I brought that to Newcastle. But you only really judged on what happens on a Saturday afternoon. And if the team was getting beat, if we were being beaten, if we'd have lost the first four games, the first person that would have been called out or, or, <laughs> or chiseled wow. out would, would have been me, without a shadow of a doubt. And not because I wasn't given, it wouldn't have been, I would have been given the same commitment. But it's just the way it is. And, but I, you kind of go, I didn't, I didn't go into that thinking, well, you know, what have I got to lose? I went there thinking, look, this is a fantastic opportunity to, to, to be with good people at the start of something which is going to grow into something potentially special. So it wasn't really, it ultimately, after, after the second or third game, it, was, it wasn't a problem because the team was doing well. And I think the Newcastle fans got to understand what I was about. Uh, which was nothing flash. Um, it was just just pure sweat. That's what they got on me. Just pure honest sweat. And I think that's I think that's not necessarily admired, but I think that's respected. So that's that's how it started, and that's how it continued for the three years I was there. You know, the, the one thing I would say that I picked up on because of, because you want players in the team to give a hundred percent. We actually felt that we were you when. You were on the pitch. That's why when Lee comes on later, uh, he grew up. Obviously, I'm a bit older than him, but like we would watch it, and it would be like every time Newcastle scored a goal, Barry, you were the first one there, and it didn't matter where you were in the pitch. You always seemed to be more or less there for any goal, and I think it was a it was such a great era to have. You know, we had, I can't remember how many Newcastle like local players were in the team, but there was it was quite a lot, wasn't it, when you were there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we had uh, Kevin Keegan brought in really good players, but Kevin, Kevin Keegan had really good players at the club at the time. You know, Pavel Cernacek, he had mm-hmm. he had uh, Derek Fizakli as coach, top class coach. So he, he had he had Lee Clark obviously there. We had Steve Watson, we had Robbie Elliott, Steve Howie was there. I know I know he's a. Uh, uh, from a son and family, <laughs> but still, still really top class players. I mean, Steve Watson had already played a lot of games in in, in the first team. Uh, Lee Clark had, Robbie Elliott. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal talent to then bring in experienced players. But what happened to Newcastle? I tell you, what happened to Newcastle? I think, and we try to explain to the young players at the time that what's happening here at that time in, in 92, 93, 94. What's happening here? The, the lads, the young lads, were, it's almost taking it for granted. We're saying, look, you've got to relish what's going on now because this doesn't happen. This stuff doesn't happen. Obviously, Leicester happened last year, but this, this, this doesn't happen. The way this, this club and this team is, is embedded into the community, into the fans, and the fans are embedded into us, the relationship, the respect, the, the, literally the, the love that was passed between among the players themselves and then be- between the players and the fans and the club and the fans, that's unique. That special bond and um, uh, togetherness doesn't come around too often. I played for 15, 16 years, and those three years, you know, Liverpool were completely different 
to any of the uh, any other 12 or 13 years I had those three years in Newcastle. So it was very, very special times, and right in the middle of it was Kevin Keegan, right at the hub of it. He was a fulcrum. He was the axis. He was the main man. He was the instigator. He was the catalyst. He was the main man in all of that. Neil? There's the essence, really, of, of what we've been trying to get across to the national media for ages. It's about It's not about being a Geordie per se. Mm. It's about whether you care, and it's about yeah. whether you deliver that, that care and passion in the shirt. You know, did Rob Lee give any less care or passion? Did Les no, Ferdinand he's a company, give any he's less a care? Exactly. Company. Absolutely 100% company, and yet we love him a bit. And, and this yeah, is the exactly. thing, I won't have it when they, when they go on about, oh, they won't have Londoners and they won't have this. No, we just want people who give a monkeys, mm. who put yeah. the shirt on and care. And that's yeah. all we want, is that, from all yeah. of our players. And, and if we get that, special things can happen. And that's all we want, and it's, it's great to hear it from somebody who's been there, done it, got the T-shirt. Yeah, but I mean, you've got to get a blend on the field, right? And Keegan did that a lot. Um, mm. He had experienced players. He wasn't too interested in defending, as, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> and that's, that's why he had uh, people, miserable old gits like me and Paul Bracewell, just to, to run around, kick people and fill in the holes and let the good players go and play. But, you know, when you've got talented players like Beardsley, you've got Cole, you've got Scott Sellers, you've got Rob Lee, you've got Lee Park, you've got Steve Watson who could play anywhere from in goal to up front. Um, you know, that's the, the blend he had. In the free, but what he did, he just instilled an unbelievable belief and confidence in that, in that team. And one of the ways he did it was the training was simple. You know how many times we worked on free kicks? None. You know how many times really? we, we worked on... Uh, defending corners or attacking corners, none. How many work on set pieces? None. The only time we ever worked on a back four was when, when Derek exactly would, would, would get us and say, right, we need to work on a back four. Kevin Keegan was not, not interested in working on a back four. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't give a damn. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm being way too basic here. He really didn't give a damn. He just wanted his team playing football. He, he picked defenders who it's their job to defend. So, so why do you pick Philip Albert as a centre half? But he picked he picked <laughs> defenders in there who give responsibility to. They've got another job. But I'll tell you what he did. We trained on a fantastic training surface at Durham. Um, at, at the uh, Barry, at the before, but, sorry, before we get into that, can uh, Keith has come back in? He just wants to say goodbye for now. All right, no problem, Keith. Good. No. Barry, Barry, seriously. Yes. The banter about you going the mags, no big deal at all to me, fella. It's long forgot you had a good career and that's what you're in the job for. <laughs> so, hey, good luck to you. Seriously. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sullen's uh, where I started my career. By the way, I'll tell you something. I went to Newcastle as a kid, 13, uh -huh. 14, and they rejected me. They wouldn't sign me. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Hey, well, they lost. But like you said, you went back with experience. One last thing, though, if you do listen to this back as well, right, you're just shooting yourself in the foot all the time because you see, when I went to Newcastle, I came with my experience from Liverpool and that, and they knew I wasn't flash. Yeah, most like sort of modest guys who were in the background wear pink suede suits. Yeah, not flash at all, Barry. You're dead right. You've just given yourself a little good CV there. Oh, I'm not yeah, but I've got Alzheimer's. I'm 52 now. Great, I've done a banter. Good banter on Twitter today as well. Now you just talk about the mags. That's me over and out, fellas. Enjoy your night. All right, guys. Thanks, Keith. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Ta-da. Bye. Okay, carry on. Kevin Keegan is the 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 game changer for Kevin Keegan. 
Oh, why had Newcastle gone the way they were? I've just picked them to bits there about not working on this, not working on that, but I'm not really. But what used to happen was, in training every day, the tempo of the training, we had such a good surface. Uh, obviously, the weather is not great, but we, the, the surface, the, how, it was like a bowling green. One touch, two touch, fast, five a side. Every day it was five a side, eight a side, nine a side. Every day. But I can't remember, the, I can't remember it was not having the five a side. Fast, zippy, goal scoring. If, if you start tackling the forwards, Kevin would go mad. He used to be always giving me a ball again for tackling the forwards. <laughs> what, what do you want? What, what do you just want me to stand and let the forwards go by and have a good time while, while, you know, while I'm clapping and applauding them? Of course I'm going to tackle them. So yeah, you, you used to get really, there was fights in training, there was people kicking each other. And I tell you, what, the, when, when the new players would come in, I remember Darren Peacock came in, I think he came in from QPR. It would take, it would take new players weeks and weeks to pick up the tempo of our five-a-side. They just couldn't. It was such a high level. Energy-wise, movement-wise, touch, um, ability, goal-scoring, quick thinking, two, three steps ahead. And that's what he had going. And that confidence building there, and it wasn't stroking people and saying, hey, you're a good player. It was basically getting out there. Most good players and anybody who came into the club had to get to that level, otherwise they were left, left aside. And he did that. He did that, obviously did that for a lot of years, but that was the main essence of his success there. I think we've got, to, we've got Lee on the line now. Lee, are you there, mate? I am. <coughs> Hello, Lee. Lee, Barry, Hello. Barry, this is Lee. Lee, how are you? I'm chubbing me a great, good to listen to you. <laughs> 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 I'm talking about you, Okay, Lee. So all the time, Lee. I tell you, I can't well, do No, no, you know it was, uh, it was good. It was, it was good listening to Barry Venison there, what he was talking about, how they used to knock the ball around in training and five aside. I am still, to this day, my favourite Newcastle United performances of all time, bearing in mind some of the performances I've seen, the Man United 5 0, etc., etc. The last game of the season against Leicester, when we got the trophies, when we ripped them apart 7 1. I reckon everything that he's just said, um, in terms of this, what was happening in the training ground at that particular point came into fruition that day because we literally ripped Leicester apart with the one-touch passing. Mm. They didn't know what to do with us. And well, I, you know I why? Because that's, that's the, there's, there's, there's two reasons why. One is because we had the new shirts on. Remember we wore the new kit no, that we were yeah. going to be wearing, so we felt good I about that. I hope they didn't click like their replica ones because while I had to take, I was back and get new ones. <laughs> yeah, there was, yeah, there was no fix then. So, and the second thing is the broad... Kevin Keegan, had a, had a, uh, he's a tactical genius. Don't listen. Don't don't listen to anybody. <laughs> he put a uh, he put this playmaker in midfield. Everybody thought it was on oh, Maradona. People like David Silva. He, he, put, he, he took me and put me in the midfield, didn't he? Yeah. That you was my first game I played in midfield yeah. in Newcastle. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, you did. Yes, because he played Paul Robin. Mark, was it Mark Robinson? Mark Robinson. Mark yeah. Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. Right back guy. He pretended that he wanted to play me in midfield. He didn't. He just wanted me to get away from that right back so he could bring in Mark. I got that. I want to put you in midfield. You're going to enjoy midfield. I know why you're doing it. You think I'm stupid. You just want to bring in a better right back than me. <laughs> but, that, but that in the end resulted in you getting back in the England squad. <laughs> it did. No, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Why wouldn't we enjoy it? We ended up winning 7 0 that day, so really, 7 1 or 7 0? 7 1, I think it was. David Kelly, Hatrick, and Nicole Hatrick, and Robbie. Well, I see, uh, it's probably the right back who gave away the goal. Right, there you go, you see. That was the mistake of the day. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, when you were. When you had obviously had you had the training going on and it was so it was so full on, was that the problem that the, the fans were so close to the team watching everything? Uh, it, could that it would should it have been taken away? Obviously, it was great. It was great times, wasn't it? When, when we had that era, but you know, when if you're flying in there, you have an absolute uh, arguments to everybody. But who was the, who was the one player that would stitch you up? Most of the time in training, or go at you really hard. You mean in, in terms of physical talent or, or ability? Ability and physical and mental. Yeah. You... Uh, like you, you, would, you would leave training, you want to kill him. Players. I mean, look, we, Rob Lee was phenomenal on the on the ball, his strength and clever. But when you put him in the same team as Peter Baisley and Scott Sellers, and you, you, if you're playing against them, I used to go around kicking them, but I couldn't get. Them. I used to go around whacking them. I wouldn't. I mean, whoever whoever was on my team would get we get two or three defenders and and we just you know we try to shut them down. Um, but Peter Beasley, Andy Cole, Andy Cole was a Andy Cole was a <laughs> he was not uh, he wasn't an energetic trainer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he wasn't. He didn't come in full of Red Bull every every morning during the week. <laughs> but on a, on a Saturday afternoon, he wasn't too bad then. Um, but no, with with the with the the, the fans and and, the, and being open to the public to train, that was fantastic. I had a I had a conversation with the general manager of a, of a team over here in the U.S. and I was explaining to him what Kevin Keegan did to bring the the the, the, the club. Uh, and the, the fans together, and having open training sessions was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got to be careful because you've got to watch the language mm-hmm. a little bit at times, and you can't really be fighting in front of the fans when there's cameras there. It happens every now and then, but to, to give to give the um, the fans who pay really good money to go there on a Saturday afternoon to let them see from five yards away rather than fifty yards away to let them see. The passion, the determination, the work, the fitness levels, um, the 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 enthusiasm, um, the the real dedication that goes into every single training session. They got to understand close up and how fast it is, how quick and fast, and how how violent it is in terms of not not necessarily kicking each other, but if something's not right in training. You don't get somebody, it's like a Saturday afternoon. It's not like a normal job where you send an email and you ask somebody if they could maybe uh, alter their behavior somewhat so it's going to be beneficial for the company. If somebody's not doing the job in training, it's brutal. It's, hey, you, well, I'm not going to swear, you know, get this sort of, get that sort of, what are you doing? And, and, it's, and it's hard. It's a hard, harsh, brutal, aggressive environment. Which is not necessarily fully understood when you when you start high up in the stand or behind glass in a box, but you watch it in training and you see how hard, fast, competitive it is. Then that, I think it gives you a much better appreciation of of when you go and watch a game on a Saturday afternoon. And I think Kevin Keegan did that really, really well. Lee, 
Oh, well, <clears throat> Kevin Keane, I mean, that pretty, pretty much that team, I think most of the North East, or certainly Newcastle fans, totally fell in love with it. I mean, it was an amazing time to be a fan, which I have to say, I mean, I'm 36 now, but I was saying, I was still seeing the other day to these, I think it was last week, and when I'm talking to I just want to be at the match, like, every minute at the moment. I'm gutted we haven't got a midweek game. Feels like I'm 12 again, kicking a, kicking a stone around yeah. in the street, knowing I want to get to the match, because I enjoyed yeah. watching Kevin Keegan's team so much, and Rafa Benitez has just, has just kind of put that kind of feeling back, and, and what, Barry's been, what Barry's just touched on there about the open training sessions, linking the community with the club, that's a massive thing that Rafa's done. You know, he's, he's linked everything back together again. The club and the, the fan base were so far apart before Rafa right. came due to Mike Ashley's misdemeanors. You know, people didn't want to go. They weren't excited about it. But Rafa has just brought that all back together. Yes, of course, there's not open training sessions, but turning up in the West End a couple of weeks ago, watching Youngman's train, things like that, yeah. it's all appreciated. And this, this place, I mean, Barry's been here. He's seen it. He's seen what he can do if it gets momentum. This club can be anything it wants to be. I'll, I'll, I'll continue to say that. With the right manager and the right backing and the fan base behind it, this club could be anything it wants to be. I just think sometimes uh, Kevin Keegan said it away and there was a few bad mistakes after that, yeah. maybe by the chairman, Freddie Shepard and things like that. But if this club's run right and run correctly, there's no doubt it can be anything it wants to be with the right man in charge, in my opinion. With the chairman, uh, Barry... Uh, inevitably... Uh, uh, Everybody wants what's best for the club in, in terms of the fans and uh, the board and, and, and the manager. And I think we're all guilty of looking too far ahead sometimes, mm. you know, rather than I, I think if you're a Sunderland fan, you, you're almost afraid. You, you're afraid to look ahead, but they're even more afraid to look at the reality, unfortunately, right now of, 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 of what's happening right now. But I, I think we have an obligation as, as players, as fans, as, as a manager, we have, we have an obligation to enjoy right now. We have to, because so many things change so quickly. Owners change, finances change, uh, TV money changes. So many things change so quickly. Can we not just... I know, yeah, I know it sounds a little bit... Yeah. Amish, but... Um, as in yoga. But... Just enjoy right now. Just enjoy it and love every minute. Forget about where the club's going. Is it going to finish top of the Premier League next next season or the season after? Who cares right now? Right now, for Newcastle fans, it's it's you know enjoy every game, enjoy every week, enjoy every win, and lick your wounds when you get beat. But I, I'd say just enjoy it. Well, what's your, if you can do that, if you can do that, and you're not dampening the whole. Um, Joy, joy of what's happening now because I don't know. I, I, I haven't watched Newcastle much at all this season. We don't, we don't get the, the games over here. We get the, a lot of the Premier League. We get, in fact, we get all the Premier League. Yeah. So really I, don't, I don't really, really know what the, uh, what the team's like in comparison to, to Kevin's team, the entertainers, but it doesn't really matter in that it's so much good stuff happening. There's so much feel-good factor got a top-class manager in there. He's got the players playing well and winning games. He's got the players not playing so well and winning games, which is sometimes even better, which happened at the weekend. So enjoy it. Forget about what's going on. Forget about actually owners. Just mm. en enjoy it right now. I think that's the key. What, what's your thoughts on the, the chairmans that you've, um, you've worked with? What, what was it like with them? Because you've, obviously I think you've had a few of them, but 
Um, good, bad, indifferent. Um, nothing to medium. do any of them. Nothing, nothing really? to do any of the chairman. Uh, Sir John Hall was probably uh, one of the closer chairman to the players, and that we saw him more. Um, nothing to do with it with, with any chairman. Uh, play, it's not a players shouldn't be getting involved with chairman. Yep. Players, players should be focusing well on the team, the squad, and the manager and the coaching staff, and taking care of everybody, all, all the other staff in the ground. Yeah, the players shouldn't be. Players have got no business talking to executives or getting involved with executives or getting involved with the chairman. It's nothing to do with that. Who, who is the main one that ran the dressing room? Because for all these players that and the way that Keegan set you up, and you know you've worked you've worked with all top managers. So, who you have to have a core, a group of players that would run the dressing room, a bit like I suppose Joey Barton, Kevin Nolan, uh, Steve Harper, uh, when um, you know uh, Chris Hutton was the manager. Um, he swore by them, didn't he? He wanted them to run that, run that team, run that, run that whole midfield, it just and from back to front. Well, when Keegan brought me in, Keegan brought me in to be captain. So, I, yeah. a captain's role is not just an armband. There. You've got to have the respect of the players. The players have got to understand where you're coming from. First and foremost, in my mind, with everything that we did was the players first. Take care of the players. Make sure they got the best possible treatment, care, and everything, and everything they could. So there was, there was myself. Paul Bracewell was inf- influential in that. But um, there, was, you know, there, was a, there was a couple of key, key voices in there um, and leaders. And you've got to have the right type of leader. You've got to have the leader who leads by example. Uh, especially when things aren't going well, because you lose games and you go through a little spell. So, I mean, you ask, I saw there was a tweet from Rob Lee. Mm, yeah. He was very generous. He said the other day, um, I think he said something like, uh, Van is a, a, a proper captain. So, yes, I, think you should, I think you should probably ask people like Rob Lee or Scott Sellers or, mm. or those lads who, who, I mean, obviously I, I wasn't there when Alan Shearer came in, uh, who I know is a leader in the dressing room. Um, but at that time, when I was there, 92 to 95, there was a couple of key men, and uh, I enjoyed playing that role. I, en- I enjoyed doing that because it was natural for me. Mm. Neil, well, leaders. We all talk about leaders all over the pitch these days. Because I, I don't know. I don't know what you think, Barry. Do you think the, the modern breed of player needs to be handled any differently or era? Do you think? Yeah. Some of them are a little precious now. Some of them do want yeah. to have too much to say at the boardroom. I mean, do you think they respond to the same things as, as what they did in your era? Or do you think it's, it's all evolved as the game's evolved? Well, uh, do they respond to the same things as, as when I played? Uh, the answer is yes and no. I, yeah. I think now, more so than ever, you have to be more genteel with players. You have to cajole them more than, than whack them. Um, I think they're very fragile, and, but I also think we're in a society, especially over here in America, this, there's, there's, a, there's a disease over here, it's a library disease, where you go in at half time, I, I'll go in at half time, if we have had a shock on first half, um, I go in, a, in, a, in the change room at half time, I, I'm expecting to be knocking shit off each other, and they sat there, <laughs> sat there, as if they're in a library, looking down, not one word. I said, I said, there was one game at home, we were having a shocker, we went in 1-0 down. And I said, leave them a couple of minutes, let them, let them tear each other to shreds. <laughs> so we, so me and Braden, the coach, me and Braden's walked in, and they sat there, honestly, like, I, I'm, I'm on the door, I've got them, 
absolutely nothing, no noise, nothing. I've had to pull Braden out. I said, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with these people? Mm. But uh, I've, I've spoke to a lot of coaches in England, and it's not a, it's not America, just an American disease. I think it's it's society. I think there's a lot of a lot of players now where they're looking for leadership. They're looking for leaders in there. They're looking for encouragement. Mm. They're a little bit more brittle, a little bit more fragile. Um, there's a lot more psychology in, in, is involved in the game. Uh, there's a lot more empathy uh, involved in the game, uh, where you've got to understand and you've got to have a closer relationship with the players rather than just giving them directions and instructions. So yeah, I, I do. I do think it's changed, um, and I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different. As a manager, you are a man who's in charge, and you've got your your remit is to get the best out of every individual while collectively the team performs at an optimum level. What do you if think, Lee, when it comes... Yeah. And you've got to, if you've got to treat 11 players differently, you have to do it. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Lee? Because obviously one of, your, one of our players last season, Sissoko, um, you can imagine Barry Venison getting into Sissoko, couldn't you, Lee? I definitely well, you know, you know my feelings on Mr. Sissoko. Um I think uh, with Barry, I mean, I think instantly the fans took me when I was seeing on Twitter yesterday. Mm-hmm. First game, I was in the Gallagher end against um, South England. Was absolutely lashing down. He just walked in front of us and started gritting his teeth and baring his fists, and it was a bit Stuart Pearce-esque. Everyone just went mental in the Gallagher end, mm-hmm. and his relationship with our fan base just kind of from that particular moment on, just got better and better and better and better because obviously he showed a lot of passion when he was wearing the shirt. And of course the team started winning, we started winning football matches. And it was kind of a joy to go to, but everyone who was playing though, he just felt they were actually working hard for themselves as well as the team, as well as the fans. Yeah. And, you know, the whole area itself just was lifted. It was just like a crest of a wave, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're talking about the likes of Musa Sosogo, that was something he never really got himself involved in. You know, he never... He never really understood what he actually had here. I'm still convinced, as I've said just before, that this club can be what it wants to be if run correctly. Musa um, Sissoko, hopefully we'll see that someday, maybe if we get back up and Rafa can take us on a, you know, a notch and we'll, we certainly should be or could be um, you know, around about Tottenham. And he didn't really buy into that. I think Barry Keir maybe... No, I think, was, no, I think, no, from a fan's point of view, I think, what you need, I think all you really need is... You're looking for players to be authentic. Yeah. You can't have people punching the air, gritting the teeth. If, that, if that's not in the makeup, if, if that's no, not who no, they are. I, I didn't but mean, you're right. I they have to mean, show a passion and a care. Mm. No, no, the other, the other thing. I, I mean, fans, fans sat there, and, and all you're doing is sat there and you're watching every single thing. I'm not saying that. I mean, every game you're watching everything that goes on. So, the, whether players like it or not. There's a transparency out there. Mm. A, you, they're in a small room being looked at by 60,000 fans very, with magnifying glasses. With magnifying glass. So whatever the, whatever's happening on the field is a reflection of you as a player, as a person, uh, and, and as a professional. So if you're out there and you're not fully into it, you're not giving 100%, you can have a bad game. Many bad yeah. games. Yeah. I've had a ton of them. Yeah. Um, but if, if, you, if you're not out there giving everything for the team, now everything might mean passing a lovely intricate pass. 
It might mean bending one down the line. It might be on smashing somebody up in the air. It might be saving one off the line. It might be tucking away a penalty. But if you're, if you're not 100% authentic, then you get found out. But what's key to all this is if, if you're in a good team, that means there's good leaders in there. And leaders in the team will not put up with somebody who's taking a piss. If somebody is out there and they're having to wander around, or they're not getting back in, or they're not making a run, or they're, or they're, or they're basically just not tuned in, the leaders will not accept that. Can't. Because you would hear that you're out there. It's a war. You're out there. You're playing against a team, and you need everybody to perform. And if you've got somebody out there who doesn't really care, he's apathetic, get him off. Get him out of my sight because he's hurting the team. I'm not going to be put on the field. Good leaders are not on the field. We're losers. Get him off. Out. And if the manager doesn't do that, then you dig him out at half time or you dig him out at the end of the game. And you say, you know, where do you want to be? Because you don't want to be here. Go get to, and I'm not going to swear, get away where you need to be, but don't be around us. Steve Hasty, there's some. The leaders have to see it. Steve, Steve Hasty from Newcastle's Fans Forum. Uh, the next one, next lining. Good evening, Steve. You're, you're, you're live with Barry Vinison. Hi, guys. Hi, Barry. You all right, mate? Good, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. It's interesting what you're saying, Barry, there about leaders on the pitch and such. Like, there's another little thing that often comes into play as well is the player's got to have, he's got to have the guts, hasn't he? He's got to be able to take the pressure. And, and, you know, you can have some fine players, but when the pressure's on playing in front of that 50 or 60,000, some players just can't handle that as well. I'm sure I wouldn't be able to handle that. I'm sure the rest of the lads in the studio, but there's something special, professional footballers, there's, a, there's, a, there's an extra dimension that comes into play that often those fans forget, and that's that added pressure uh, that comes playing in front of such big crowds. And, you know, you, you, you adapted fantastically well. You're, a, you know, the ultimate professional. And, and the guys that I met just a couple of weeks ago at the Entertainers reunion, you know, the Scott Sellers of this world and uh. the, the Darren Peacocks and all these guys, you know, you, you could handle big games. You could handle the, 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 uh, the stroke that was needed to, 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 to dig deep and to, to work as a team and to get, you know, the best out of each other as well. But yeah. I think possibly Sissoko just couldn't handle that. I know, I mean, he's got, he's got a big stage of Tottenham and he's done okay. You know, the, it, there is pressure. Of course there's pressure. That, and it's, that's what gives you the satisfaction. That's what gives you the real joy when you win it because there's a, press, there's a pressure out there to perform. It's, it's in, sometimes the pressure's bigger than other games. But it, that's, that's part of it. That's, that's why you're hooked up to that drip because that's what you want. That, that's... that's that's why you, you train all week, you know, to then get out of the tunnel, explode out of that tunnel, and 50,000, 60,000 fans erupting around you. Mm. Now, if that makes you shrivel, you're in the wrong game. You should go and start painting somewhere. Because if 50,000, 60,000 fans, whether your fans or somebody else's, makes you shrivel, you're in the wrong game. You're in the wrong profession. Because that, that's worth 15 cases of Red Bull right there in a one <laughs> You just can't buy it. You cannot. But there's people out there who've got billions and billions of pounds of dollars. They will never, ever experience that ridiculous uh, feeling of coming out the tunnel and, and hearing that boom of fans. They'll, they'll never get that. They cannot buy that. They'll never get it in this lifetime and, and maybe many more. But if that's something that makes you shrivel, then you have to reconsider. But 
if your heart's not in it, and this is why the most important voice for any player is not necessarily the manager's voice or his teammates. It's your own voice, because that's who you talk to the most, whether you admit it or not. And if you're, if you're telling yourself, well, look, this club's not big enough for me, or I should be somewhere else, or I should be playing in Spain, or I'm doing them a favor here, and you know, I don't like this wind, the rain's not good, it's cold today. If that voice is dominating, is, 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 that, is the loudest voice that you're hearing, you've got no chance. And then it's not about succumbing to pressure. It's then been weak mentally. I was going to say, Lee, uh, it's interesting because obviously you're taking your, your son to the games with you now. Um, is your son enjoying watching players who uh, are full on or does he like the players who are uh, a bit more restrained or they're passing or is he, does he like the, the type of Barry's you know, a will to win type thing? You've got to bear in mind he's, he's only six, so he's, yeah. he is picking it. He's picking it up quite slowly. I didn't really get the bug until I was about nine or ten, so I have to take quite a few sweets with us and things like that, just in case the game goes into a bit of a low. Mm. Uh, but little bits of the time, yeah, he's picking little things up. He, you know, he's um, he's enjoying going. He's certainly enjoying the atmosphere and things like that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, I think he. He appreciates what he's watching in front of him this particular moment in time. He likes Perez. Um, he likes Mitrovic because he's a little bit mad and fancying his name and things like that. So I suppose from a point of view of somebody who was, you know, tries to tries to give the crowd a, a pick them up, fist pump and etc. Mitrovic is that kind of man. But like I said, I know he's a bit young at this particular moment in time. But unfortunately, he's got a, a crazy dad who loves football who just wanted to push him into it as early as he possibly could. Well, here's the other thing to understand from and. and from the stand is and, and I actually had this argument with Matthew Letizia when, when we were at Southampton together mm-hmm. and he was bang on and, and, and I put people like Scott Sellers in, in, in this category the lads who've got incredible talent who can win a game not who can literally win a game with a pass or a piece of skill or a set piece um, but they're not going to go around and smash people they're not going to go around and clatter people they're not going to go jumping up and down and clenching fists. They do it in a, a much more sophisticated, subtle, creative way. And every team needs the right blend, of course, because you can't have, you know, 10 Stuart Paces. But the, the, the argument I had with, with Tiz, bright lad, really good lad, really, really good fella who give everything for the team. But you look at him from whatever goals you got, if you look at him, you go, well, he's walking around. He's walking around, you lose the ball, and he's just, he's just chugging around like, a, like a, you know, an old tractor waiting for, the, for somebody to get the ball and give it to him. Well, what Tiz told me was right. That's why I'm on the team. I was on the team to go and get the ball, to give it to him so he could win the game. And the fact that he didn't go around covering five or six miles, whatever it is, and kicking people does not mean that he does not want to win that game as much as I do. He's still got the same desire to win, he's still got that same uh, drive to win. It's just that he's in a different car. He's in a, he's in a completely different machine. So there is an appreciation. Of course there is. There's a huge appreciation for the subtlety, the skill, the, 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 the technique, uh, slice and pass, the lovely little clip and bend. I, I love that. But there, there has to be a blend on, on the field of people who are going to do the grind and the graft mm to then get it to the players who can change the game. But from a fan's point of view, 
I think that subtlety and technique and class is, a, is appreciated as much as somebody going around putting in a good tackle. It's, it's just shown in a different way. There's an admiration and a quiet kind of appreciation of what's going on with somebody who's got that kind of quality. Steve? Absolutely, need a blend, need a blend, need a blend yeah. of everything. Yes. Steve? I think what you're saying, what you're saying as well, Barry, is that uh, we wouldn't have seen Matthew Letizia making some of the most amazing goal line clearances down at the Dell that you managed in your career. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he wouldn't be scoring a own goal either because he wouldn't be that far back. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> the Dell? It wasn't the Dell, Steve. It was looting away. I remember. It was looting away, yeah, and that, yeah. Uh, yeah it was looting away. Looting away in the cup. We got beat two now. Did we not also Yeah, then we went to Wimbledon and got beat on the Saturday. I do remember that. Did we not have an overhead kick? It was unreal. Oh, yeah, it was brilliant that way. Yeah, it was an overhead kick, but I tell you what people don't realise is that I, I, it was my fault because I told Steve Harvey to push up just as the ball was going to be clipped, and as I told him to push up, I didn't push up, so I actually played the man on side, so I had to get back in. <laughs> it was my fault. <laughs> Thing is, when you when you're now obviously you're now being a manager, um, who out of all the the managers you've worked with, obviously I know you said you take bits and pieces from everybody, but yeah. who was who was the one that you uh, the, the person that you think yeah I I I more or less blend with that guy. Um, well, I, I actually think I've clashed with every single manager I've been played <laughs> for. So, <laughs> Some harder than others, but um, you know, I, the, I only I got two England caps. I was uh, really appreciate getting two England caps, but I only spent two two games with Terry Venables, and mm. uh, so I didn't I didn't work with him on a, on a day to day basis over over months or years. But I, don't know, I just for me, he was he was a real good blend of somebody who had an, an encyclopedia of knowledge of football and and understood every position and understood the details and could also communicate it. And he wasn't precious, and he was, he was a man's manager. He was somebody who trusted players, admired them, but felt it was his responsibility to make sure that players improved and developed. I think out of all the managers that I've, that I've played for, and again, I only played for him for, for, for two games, I, I would like to have spent a lot more time with Terry Venables. I spent a lot of time in the TV studios with Terry, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, his knowledge is, is phenomenal. What he had in common with Kevin Keegan was he was very, very quick, mentally quick with it, quick on his feet, um, mentally, and handled a lot of things with humour and a smile. Um, I mean, complete opposite to, to what we heard earlier, the way David Moyes is unfortunately handling things. But, yeah, I think Terry Venables would have been the one I would like to have spent a, a lot more time with. Where does this will that you've got to win, like where does that come from? Do you, is it is it a family thing? They've always been like driven, or is it something that you've you've had to uh, get used to? Because obviously you went from football to being a pundit, and then you went to real estate. So yes. um, you've, you obviously like to do a lot of different things, uh, just to you know, I suppose get the experience, right? Well, life's an adventure, adventure, isn't it? But uh, like we with. My, my father, who's still fit as a fiddle, still, I spoke to him yesterday, he goes out on his bike, he's, he can't play football anymore, but he's a nutter, he's a lunatic, and he, I mean, he, he worked on the mines all his life, all his working life, um, from the age of 14, 
And but what he did was he he every shift every game that I played he would change his shift so he would he'd go and work night shifts so he could come and watch me play. So he he played Sunday morning. He played Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning. Um, and his desire and drive, I think, I think it's is it DNA or is it is it conditioning as you're a, when you're a kid? Because if I got a bad if I had a bad game or I didn't win a tackle, then I knew what I was getting. You know, I wasn't getting them well. That's unlucky. Maybe better look next time. You know, let's get you home and get you a nice bath and get your tea on. <laughs> wasn't getting any of that. <laughs> what the hell's going on? What's wrong with you? <laughs> so I think maybe it come, not maybe it's a blend of both. But I've definitely got my dad to thank a lot for that. Well, what about the the the, the journalists in, in the northeast? Because um, I remember obviously I remember at the time because. When they, they would write things, and um, I can't remember, I think they, when you obviously came from Liverpool, then you came to Newcastle, but obviously with a Sunderland uh, thing in beside it. But I think in them days, it wasn't, they weren't they weren't pushing it as much now as the media would um, if anybody comes from Sunderland to Newcastle. It's <laughs> probably not happening happen the next 10 years. But um, how, how, was your, how was your relationship with, with the media? When I came back up from Liverpool? Yeah, when you came back from Liverpool, you obviously came to Newcastle. And was there was there any in, um, reaction to when you like? D- did they say, oh, you know, d- to try and get the reaction from you no, being previously from no, Sunderland? I mean, again, circumstances at the time. There wasn't the, there wasn't any naughtiness. There wasn't there wasn't any provocation. I mean, it was difficult at the time to that that wasn't that wasn't the the storylines at the time. The storylines was all about the team doing well and. And Kevin Keegan was resurrecting, uh, you know, a team from the ashes. So, and and I was lucky enough to be part of that. So, I mean, yeah, there, there wasn't there wasn't any any naughtiness at all. I mean, I got hey, look, I got I got a lot of stick from Sunderland supporters. Um, I remember when we went to Roker Park and we won, and uh, my missus was picking me up in in Whitburn because I didn't want to go back to St James's. We lived mm-hmm. in Durham, mm-hmm. so. I got somebody to drop me off at Whitburn while I still had my Newcastle tracksuit on. So somebody dropped me off, dropped me off yeah. outside a freaking pub in Whitburn. So my missus was late. She should have been there. So I'm still outside a pub at Whitburn. I think I had man of the match. Something, mm-hmm. uh, something under my arm. I've got my bag. I've got my Newcastle tracksuit on. <laughs> so I'm stood outside this pub and I'm thinking, my God. <laughs> Am I in the wrong place or what? Where is she? Where the hell are you? So she's not coming. I'm trying to you know, walk away. Sure enough, somebody comes out of the pub. <laughs> so, so then you know, a whole stream of lads come out of the pub. So I, I knew I was going to get a freaking good hiding then. My <laughs> missus just pulled up across the other side of the road. I, I ran away like a little freaking scared whippet. I was going to get my head kicked in for sure. Um... So I ran across the road, jumped in the car and got off. She came just in time. But we know you go from one club to the other and you then immediately become scum or somebody who's not welcome back at the ground on any level. So I, I understood that. I, I understood. It's got worse, hasn't it, though? Like it, uh, teams leave. I, I go ahead. T- interesting, I was talking to Lee Clark on uh, Thursday night at his book launch and he was telling us that... Uh, he, when he signed for Sunderland, he turned up at his father-in-law's house and he, with his little lad, and he was still wearing his uh, 
my Sunland kit, uh, you know, his tracksuit and such like after training. And uh, he said the little lad, he had he had got the little lad the Sunland kit as well. And he got the front door. And his father-in-law wouldn't, wouldn't let him in, wouldn't let him in the house, <laughs> and then uh, made him made him strip off into the other kegs in the. Uh, on the on the grass outside before he would let them into the house and make them. Oh, how good is that? Well, it, worked, it worked both ways, good. you know. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's good. So, how is Cloggy? Is he all right? He's, he was great. It was the book launch. He's, he's got a yeah. book out, and he, it, was, it was fantastic. He was on tip-top form. He had the family good. with him at the uh, at the nine bar. With, uh, Steve Wraith put an event on for for the launch of his book, and uh, it was a great night. There was about 100, 120 people there. Fantastic. And, uh, we we all queued up for the book and yeah, I bloody sold out, didn't it? Before I managed to get mine, so it's a trip into uh, into town on Saturday before the match at uh, at the at the back page, I think, for to pick my copy up. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, it was it was great. It's great to see him, you know. And uh, I think he's, uh, he's he's chugging away there as as football manager at Open Scotland. Did, mm. Which brings me to the next one. Obviously, we've got we've got Bradley coming over from America as a as a as a manager now. Yes. And I'm wondering what what's the buzz like over in the states at, at that happening? You know, because I think you know this is like the first sort of one of of the of the established American coaches to come over and try his look in the Premier League. Has it, has it created an extra buzz, or is it just being? Well, yeah. I, mean, I, no, I, I think there's a lot of pride that it's the first the first American uh, manager, let's call him, first American manager to come over here in. in manage a Premier League club, but I think there's also, you know, it's a, it's a two-sided coin in that the Americans know that they've got this, they feel that the English stroke, you know, Europeans um, don't give the, the American, let's call it, it's right name here, soccer mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. or, or uh, credentials, any real credibility. Um, and I can see both sides of the coin. So they feel as if he's been slightly disrespected, and people are looking down the nose at him, and mm-hmm. and he's only got he's only got that job because of American owners, and and are waiting for him to fail, and that so that so, so that's how they're seeing it to to a degree. But there's a lot of pride, and you know they feel that it's warranted for him to go in, uh, to go over there. Uh, but there's a lot of responsibility on him in that he's the first American manager to go, and if if it goes well. Then it'll probably um, be encouraging, uh, encouraging signs to possibly open the door for for other American managers, head coaches to go over there. But if he fails and he fails miserably, then I might just shut down that little bridge for a while. Um, <laughs> so there is a big responsibility on, on on Bob Bradley, and I think it's a big job he's got on. Uh, so we'll we'll see. Only again, only I'm not sitting on a fence, but only time will tell. I, I, I can. I hope he does well, um, but I, to be fair, I don't. I've never worked with him. I don't know enough about him. Yeah. Have, um, have you? Have you? We've got. We've got. Hold is an American player in, in our squad who seems to play in every position when he plays mm-hmm. for the USA as well. I think he, in the in the last game there in the in the previous uh, uh, window, I think he was playing centre forward at, at one point in the game. You know, and, and I think a lot of Newcastle fans are surprised at what a fantastic footballer he is he's just a young lad but he's he's, he's certainly stepped straight into the Newcastle team I know he was at Sunderland last season on loan mm-hmm. from Tottenham but Andre Ledland seems like probably one of, of a number of players that I'm sure the Americans have over there that could come over and do a job in the Premier League is, is, do you think there's there's more of the Andre Ledland there's a lot of talent here I mean you've got to understand the, the numbers here the numbers here are ridiculous in comparison mm-hmm. to, to England so 
the, the, the talent here, the, the challenge that they've got is, is that the, the, it's the coaching levels. It's the, the quality of the coaching throughout. Um, from, they don't play enough games at, at, a, at a high enough level. A lot of the players go to college first, which really kills them from a football development point of view, football education and football experience, because that college season is only three months. Um, the MLS, um, young players going into the MLS, that's the logical way for them to then to be seen in the MLS, to then go uh, to Europe, to England. Uh, but the MLS is nowhere near the level of the, of the Premier League. I'm not too sure it ever will be. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a difficult transition to go from the highest level here, which is the MLS, in, into the Premier League. So you have to be, I mean, there's, there's now several American players that's done it. Um, so I, I think I, I think that's going to continue, but the, the the biggest thing here is is the early uh, development of the of the players from the quality of the coaches. That's got to change for for them to get better quickly. But the talent's definitely here, absolutely, Neil? no doubt about it. Well, I was I was going to ask for you. Are you seeing a change in that culture? Because I remember first time I, my first experience of, of soccer in the U.S. was in sort of late 90s, early 2000s when I went over. I've got friends who were in Kansas and right. I remember going to see some of the junior teams associated with the then Wizards and them applauding, yes. applauding fullbacks are doing Cruyff turns in their own 18-yard box and I'm going mental on the sideline and they couldn't understand why I was going mental and they're applauding this great football skill and I'm like, yeah, it's all, it's all great until you concede a goal from it and I, I think, is there a change in understanding what the rules are and understanding how to coach that? Or do you think at certain levels in the U.S. they're still sort of not really getting tactical understanding of what players? No, there's many different bands here. There's many different bands of, uh, of uh. levels of, of 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 soccer here. You know, from youth um, is it is it the, the club here? The club culture here is very big. Uh, the coaching that they get at, at the schools, at the high schools, really poor. At the college level, it's extremely average. It's, it's uh, so they're not developing there. But what, what they're trying to introduce now via the MLS and the, um, the league that I, that I coached in the last two seasons, I was managed the last two seasons, is USL, which is currently the third. It, it's classed as the third level down, so one, MLS one, but it's going to be the second level. Basically, you've got teams like uh, let's, LA Galaxy. Everybody's familiar with LA Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. LA Galaxy, you've got a Galaxy 2 team, which is the younger mm. players uh, and older players. Uh, as have Seattle Sounders. We played against them, Vancouver Whitecaps. So we played against, I think it's six MLS2 teams who are in our, in, in our league this year. So there's that level of coaching which you're getting at somewhere like LA Galaxy, which is as high as anywhere else because you're getting the young players at 14, 15 are going in on a regular basis and they're into their academy on a regular basis, then going through the ranks and then going into the MLS with a ton of football, uh, the fundamentals of football locked in. But there's a lot of, what, what you're talking about is people applauding from the sidelines about kids doing Cruyff turns in the, uh, in the box. I think that's because the parents are still fairly new to it. The kids coming through now, uh, there's, the, the TV exposure is fantastic. NBC have got every Premier League game. So you can watch every Premier League game. 
So mm. the kids are now watching the TV and they get a better understanding of how the game is at that high level in the Premier League. Now, the, the, the tactics and the, uh, uh, the understanding, the knowledge of the game, uh, match player, they're not getting that. And it's difficult for the kids to get that without playing the games. But the kids coming through now and, and the coaches coming through now are now getting a better grasp of it. But in the past, it's been more about parents and uncles and people just doing a, a favour to help the kids without any real qualification or experience. That actually brings me to my next person who's actually calling in from the US, and that's Chris Parry. What's your question? Good evening, Chris, and what's your question for Barry? Well, I mean, he, he's absolutely right about the, 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 you know, the, the play in the States. It's, it's interesting, and it's a big – it's something that, uh, that's kind of been driving us nuts is we feel like there's not enough of a, of a setup in place to get our players, especially the national team, national team players, at the kind of level that you get in Europe, and uh, I, it, it's kind of the ongoing uh, struggle that we're trying to figure out, kind of how do we how do we get our players through the youth ranks when where there's really not much of a men's college soccer in the United States. Hey Chris, how are you? Well, Chris, where are you? Where you at? Where are you in the U.S.? I, I'm in Texas. I'm in. I just got through playing 18 holes of golf. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. Well, yeah. I, we we play against. Uh, we played against San Antonio this year, and we played against uh, Rio Grande a couple of times too. So I'm oh I'm, nice. I'm familiar with uh, yeah, familiar with Texas. But well, so I mean, like a guy, an Englishman, an Englishman named Dom Dwyer. You know, Dom Dwyer did really well. Uh, he actually played at Tyler Junior College, just is where I live in Tyler, and uh, he's right. he's gone and made a real successful career in the MLS. And he actually, if he keeps, you know, he's married an American, he actually could end up being an American. You know, he could be on our national team as a forward, but it's been really difficult for us to try to develop. Well, I think what's happening now is there's more, there's more elite academies which are being set up. And not, it's not just by the MLS clubs. It's, and there's more, there's more of a trend, and it's happening now, and it's, it's changed over the last five years, and it's increasing. The trend is starting to swing towards, rather than parents being absolutely 100% obsessed with, with, with their, with their uh, gifted soccer players going to college, you have to go to college to get your education. You have to go to university to get your education. And you'll get your soccer education via that college. And it could be a good college program, uh, you know, like uh, UCLA. It could be a good college program. But now, now there's a swing towards, okay, if you really want to be a professional soccer player, professional football player, you're going to have to set that education, four-year education aside. You're going to have to go straight into straight into either a USL, a professional team, or, or a, a professional environment where you're, all you're going to be doing every day is playing soccer and getting a soccer education. So there's more of a swing towards that. Um, now, that it's still, I don't, I don't know what the, the percentage is, but because of the leagues that have been set up, because now we've got the MLS, NASL, the USL. USL is the fastest growing grown league in, in the U.S. So there's, there's, and it's professional, there's entry into those leagues because there's more and more teams and franchises being put out there right across the country. There's more opportunities for real good young players to go into that environment instead of going to college to get that education. That's what's going to help change. But I'll come back to what I said earlier, the really important thing is, is that in those USL teams, in those professional clubs, that you have really good coaches. That's what's going to change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Because the talent is there. The raw ingredients are there. It just needs to be molded, shaped, educated, developed, and evolved into swimming, into fulfilling the potential. What do you guys think, both of you, about just, you know, because I cover high school. I cover Tyler Lee High School, and, and there's, a, there's a pull and a, and a struggle between high school soccer, which is obviously not at the right level of someone who wants to be a professional. And, but yet a lot of these kids are just basically going straight into academies. Uh, you know, they're not allowed to play high school soccer. Uh, like, for instance, the Dallas, uh, FC Dallas has their own academy, and a lot of these kids drive from Tyler to FC Dallas, and they don't even play high school soccer. I mean, do you think that you really have to kind of do that to reach the next level, or could you just be like a Clint Dempsey and play in high school and then play at the next level and then just keep gradually going all the way up to becoming a professional? No, I, I think he's going to be the exception to the rule going forward. I think you have to get into the, the academy environment and, and be coached by the uh, professional coaches because my, when we came out here, my son went to high school, and he, he played in a high, and really good player. Actually, a far better player than I ever was, but he, he, he just didn't... He, he, the high school, the coach was terrible. He was terrible. He had no, no clue because his main... His main sport, uh, is probably fifth in line. He's not. He's not a. He's well, not what? A hey, what? Uh, what year? Like, what? Uh, what year did your did your son play uh, uh, high school soccer? Because now they've got a lot of British coaches as the coaches. Uh, there's actually European coaches who coach a lot of the high school soccer programs, especially in yeah, Texas. It was actually. It's no longer. It's no longer the football coach. It was 12, 13 years ago. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that. That U.S. has got to be careful of. Anybody coming over from, from England, stroke Europe, uh, to the U.S. with any kind of accent is immediately given instant credibility about being a, a football, soccer genius. And, You're right. And, they might have, and, and these people come over sometimes from England or from, from Europe and say, hey, you know, I played, I played in England or I played in Wales or I played in Ireland. And, and they played in a pub league. For the dog and duck. But <laughs> yeah, they're, playing they're, the they're getting good coaching jobs because they talk a good game, and you know, but they've got limited experience. So hey, it's a it's a two way street. There there needs to be a vacuum created to move on the coaches, which are not helping the players. But that's got to be filled by better coaches. And just because they've got a, an English or British accent doesn't make them better coaches. Since, since you left gotcha. your uh, since you left your team, uh, uh, Barry, how 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 has it been since you left? Because obviously. You're full on. You're given everything. Uh, is it is it something you, you feel like you need you need to do now? Because it, obviously it sounds like a you know being as full on as you are, I can I can imagine it takes its toll even if you've been successful. Well, well, it's not so much thing as toll. I'm I'm at the stage now where it's it's actually not it's not my it's not my job. It's not, it's not my job. It's it's actually my purpose. It has to be my purpose. I, I have an obligation. My, I've been lucky enough to have all those great experiences over a number of years with fantastic players and, and coaches and, and managers. And I'm obligated to pass that on to, to the players here. I'll, it's my duty to do that. It's my purpose to do that. So... I have to get out in front of players and help them become better players, better men in, in a better team, in a winning team. I've got to do that. If I don't, I'm failing, I'm failing them. And it's not, it's not dollar-driven, and it's not, 
it's not MLS team driven or it's not a specific region that's driven. I, I have to do it. I have to do it. Otherwise, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm letting the players down here. So, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, will be, I will be coaching. I will be coaching and, and manager of a team. Um, are you going to stay in LA, though? You're going to move? Do you want to be prepared to I move anywhere? I am decided. I'm not geographically bound. What I, what I will be, I know the next club that I'm involved with, it'll be with really good people in a progressive development, um, educational environment where the players will grow, um, where they'll evolve and they'll, they'll fulfill, hopefully, some if not all of their potential as individuals, as players, as men, and, and as a team in a, in a winning team environment. That's where I'll be. What's the difference, obviously, when you've got the English football, the way that we play football, you've got the American way that they play football, um, have you had to tone down the way that you are with, with the Americans compared to the English? Sorry, Chris, I had to put it out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a whole different mentality. We got, we're lucky enough to bring in Richard Chaplow. Uh, we brought in Richard Chaplow, um, and actually we brought him in via Peter Nugent, who, who was head of our soccer operations here, who I brought in from Blackburn. And so he knew... He knew Richard Chaplow, who obviously played for Southampton, played in the Premier League, played in the Championship, and, and he came over. Now, well, Richard, he's 31, he's experienced, he's been around the block, he's a real good player, top-class individual, phenomenal professional. So I talked to him completely different than the way I talked to, I don't know, a 24-year-old college kid who's, who's living in Orange County. It's two completely different people, two completely different personalities. Now, with Richard, if, if Richard has a bad game, I know, or, or, he's, or he's had a poor 45 minutes, I know what I can say to Richard. I can say, Richard, what the hell's going on? Get your finger out. You don't want to play today. We're actually playing in a different color shirt than the shirt you're passing to. If you don't get your finger out, I'm bringing you off after 10 minutes. Oh, I can give him a whack. But with a college player, I can't do that. I've got to be real gentle and just, you know, look, you're, you're better than that. Let's, let's see how we, can, how we can improve that. Let's, you know. Let's step it up a little bit. Let's get a couple of decent passes in earlier. It's completely different. But going back to what I said earlier, the 11 players in the changing room are all different anyway. Yeah. There's not one broad strokes. But the English mentality, the English mentality should be brought over here yeah. as part of a team, not to be the team. Because the American culture is really important. It has to be retained. Not so much retained, it has to be developed. And it'll be developed by, in, by making it a stronger alloy of different metals. But the metal of England or Europe has to be in here. It has to be, it'll be part of the success. That'll be part of the structure of the DNA going forward to be successful. Because the Americans don't understand it because they haven't been brought up with it, which is fine. It's that, and that, that's just the way it is. But the American culture here has to be the main driver. But it's got to be certain elements brought into it to make it stronger. I must admit that, Chris. Well, there's, definitely, there's, there's definitely a, a, a tactic that American... Hang on for a second. I'm in a school zone. I've got to be quick on this. Uh, there's definitely a tactic... I hope I don't get a ticket. Uh, there's definitely a tactic that Americans, that Americans play that we've always played that is defensive, guard the goal, yeah. try to hit on the counter, Try to nick a goal. Try to beat you, and it, and it got it got the United States all the way to the quarterfinals. You know, in the World Cup, and they almost beat Germany. 
But then, you know, you got Jurgen coming in, and he wants to try to make it all, you know, the European style and, and this and that. It just seems like right now we're just not very well suited to play that style of play, at least in my opinion. Well, I think what you're talking about is you're talking about something completely different because you're talking about the, your team on a national level. Now, look, if we want to talk about England on a national level, everybody goes, shrivels and goes home because they're an absolute yeah. disaster. But yeah. if you're talking about the Premier League, the quality of the Premier League, the quality of our national team, the English national team, is not a reflection of the quality of the Premier League. Yeah, Premier League's it's fantastic. The, it's the same as with the, with the club, with, with some of the MLS teams, some of the MLS players here. Uh, the coach, we've got Patrick Vieira here coaching. Mm, yeah. He's a top-class coach. He had a bad result last night, but you've got top-class coaches here. And they're bringing, they're bringing in, now not necessarily at the national level, because he's got a completely different job, Klinsman, but the, the, the U.S. men's national team is not a direct or true or valid um, mirror reflection of what's going on in, in, in the leagues, what's going on in, in, in the leagues below that. How do you think the uh, leagues, you know, because I mean, I watch a little MLS, but I have to admit, I'm a bit of a, a British soccer snob like the rest of us. I, I grew up watching the Premiership, and I enjoy it, and now I'm stuck having to watch the Championship because Newcastle's in it. But, I mean, uh, how do, uh, I mean, what do you think about the MLS? It seems like it's more watchable. It's definitely, it's definitely more entertaining. I don't see a lot of NA, NASL games as much unless there's a, an awful vine, you know, of a guy getting kicked in the back or just something horrible that's on Twitter, and, and that's unfortunately the only way you hear about the NASL. Yeah. Well, I, I actually watched three uh, MLS playoff games yesterday, as well as two Premier okay. League games. So that, <laughs> I tell you how my day went on <laughs> Sunday. But, so I watched, <laughs> and I was completely underwhelmed, yeah. underwhelmed by the quality of the MLS games. Mm -hmm. I watched Galaxy against Colorado, and I watched Toronto, um, and, I, and I watched New York. And it was, it was average, especially after watching, after watching Chelsea and, and watching Arsenal, um, watching that and Liverpool. If you look, if you take those three teams, then you mentioned it, and, and the three teams that I talked about in the MLS, it's a, it's a, not just a different league; it's a different stratosphere. It's, the MLS is nowhere near the level of the, of the Premier League. Yeah. Barry, do you think, and Andrew, do you think, do you think one more question, then I'll let you yeah. guys go. Sorry, you, I'm a journalist. I can't help myself. Uh, do, you, do you think uh, that it's, you know, the, the biggest thing we always hear and the, the biggest excuse that America always likes to give is that we've only had our soccer league for like, you know, 20 years. So yes. we don't really have the, the, the hundred and something years of kids. And kids here don't grow up wanting to play soccer. You know that. Here, I mean, you think you can't yell at a college kid in soccer, but you darn sure can yell at a college kid in football, you know, in American yeah. football. I mean, yeah. they're, you know, they, they're just hardened to it. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's just a whole different, whole different mindset. No, the, the, the game has improved. The game here has improved dramatically over, over, well, since I've been here, but especially over the last five or six years. And it's continued. The game is very, very exciting. Um, the development of the game, the, the talent, uh, the, the, the players, the, like I said, the coaching needs to be improved. I, I don't think it's fair to make a comparison with, with, uh, with U.S. soccer to, to anything that's been around uh, as, as long as it has in, in Europe. It, it's, not, it's not a direct comparison. It's not apples for apples. But I think what you've got here is you've got a, you've got a, a breeding ground here for things to evolve and develop at, at a real fast pace. 
um, to be transformed into something which is exciting and special to watch. At the moment, it's successful from an economic point of view. Um, it's not majorly successful from a, a, a player development point of view, but that's definitely improving. If you th- coaches, want, coaches are now looking to come out here for a different, not just a different way of life, but come out here to see how they can get involved and how they can be part of, um, uh, of the fabric going forward. And that's, that's, an, that's an exciting thing to be part of. But it's not, going to change, it's not going to change to the point where it's going to be comparable to the Premier League, certainly not in the next five or ten years. Thank you, Chris. Great questions as ever. Guys, I appreciate you talking, and, uh, and we'll see you next week, and hopefully the Magpies can keep rolling. Talk to you later. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. I've got, I've got a question for the, which obviously encompasses uh, Neil and, um, and Steve. When it comes to the fans group, because Neil was in charge back in the day, and uh, Steve is part of the fans forum. How was it when, obviously, when you were back here, uh, with you know, with regards to fans groups? Did you get in, did you involve yourself in any of the the groups of um, you know to talk to? But what do you mean? I don't. Sorry, I don't understand the question. What talk to him and what uh, you know? Well, like, did you get? Uh, it's like uh, now. Go ahead. Andrew, sorry, go. Andrew. Andrew was quite different. You know, at the time when John Hall was in charge and Keegan was the manager, the club was more willing to engage at all levels. Yeah. There was no no need for forums and, and groups per se. The groups that existed had quite good access via, as Barry's quite rightly said, open training sessions and things that the club would do. It was quite an open and engaging club. And that's why, for example, remember when we had all the, the hoo-ha about renaming the ground? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that long ago that John Hall wanted to build a brand new stadium. And everybody was pretty much behind that in, on, on the whole. Why? Because we'd been engaged, because we'd been asked about it, because we'd been brought on board. And, and it, there, there was no need. I mean, I'm quite sure Barry went to many events organised by supporters clubs around the region. Oh, well, yeah, we had a ton of presentations and talkings and stuff like that. But, and, and, and Kevin Keegan didn't... He, he, he didn't force the lads to do it. He wanted to encourage the lads to do it. And he, right. he led by example, because he was out a lot of nights a week in and around the town doing stuff, um, presentations and, uh, you know, turning up in appearances. And he, you know, he, and he was, he, I remember he took uh, me and Lee Clark along with him once. He just said, you know, I'll see you tonight at six o'clock. Where are we going? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you, when we'll, you know, we'll meet you, I'll meet you at the ground. And we're out and we we're just doing a presentation because he'd, he'd, he'd sorted something out with somebody who had a local business and he wanted to go out and have a, so that was, you know, I don't think that happens now. I mean, hey, look, I, I'm I'm not around it now, but back then it was it you know it, it was it was a swing door definitely. It, it was it was open both ways for 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 the community and the club. Yeah, I actually worked at the club when uh, Keegan came back as a butler, and uh, it was you know you see your, your hero coming up the coming up the stairs, and as you said you know when he uh, when he lost to, I remember he lost to Tottenham. He came up the stairs to see Sir John Hall, and that the door nearly came off the hinge. He was that upset, and it, I must admit, after that, I was like, "Oh, you know, it's it's going to go okay, but it's there's also going to come a a pretty hefty divorce quite quickly." You know, the late the longer it went on, but it's it's always it, it you know it's it's always tr- trying to get that happy blend, and I think with Benitez. Uh, what's your thoughts on him? Because he obviously he's a he's a born winner, and he's gonna he's gonna take our club 
sorry, not your club because you do you su- you support various stuff, different yeah. teams. But um, Barry, sorry, I had to I had to get that in. But like, um, what's your thoughts on him? Because he comes across as the the more or less the the guy who's formed into the ultimate coach. You know, I've, I've never I've never worked with him. I, I don't looking from from afar, which of course I am. Mm. Um, you've got to admire what he's done. First of all, he stayed with the club and decided to go to the club in you know in the in the league that he's not used to. So, was it money money talking, possibly, or did he really understand the potential of the club, possibly? Um, but he wouldn't be successful. He wouldn't be he wouldn't be embraced by the fans. Oh, that's his winning. Mm. Uh, uh, the game of the weekend, I think, was, was a Preston away. Yeah, Preston the team away. didn't play well, but came away with a result. Mm. So now, now he's a. Uh, now under Rafa, we're not getting beat, even though we're playing badly. Where before we, you know, we play badly, we get beat. So there's that's extended. So there's a warmth, and it's it's down to results. When the results, are, it's the opposite opposite side of the spectrum. Opposite end of the spectrum for David Moyes down at Sunland. Yeah. If he'd have got good results, then then he would have been regarded as a oh, he's, he's gritty, he's a grinder, he's somebody who's determined. Now he's been looked upon as somebody who's who's miserable. He's got no wit about him. He's just old school. So fair play to Benitez. My my hat goes off to him. Can he can he replicate what Kevin Keegan did? Uh, in 92-93 absolutely not and that's not his goal his goal is to get back into the top league and I think he's, he's got a great chance of doing that but he has to get the players believing in what he's doing so there has to be a charm there has to be a charisma there has to be an authenticity the players have to believe in him and trust him and they obviously do that otherwise they wouldn't be performing to the levels that they are individually and collectively so a lot of the stuff that he's doing I don't know who his assistant is, but a lot of what he's doing on the training ground is translating into good results, which then engenders goodwill, uh, optimism, and everybody's happy. So, fair play to him. He's doing a great job. Steve? Yeah, it, it, I think what people don't realise is, uh, Barry, he calls it a project. He said mm-hmm. he's, he's looked at what needs to be done. He seems to have been given control um, of... of Virtually every aspect of the club, from uh, you know what the players are eating and the things that are happening around that he that he you would expect a coach to be in control of, to you know the facilities, what facilities are being provided. That ch- he's changed the the pitches at the training ground, the indoor pitch. He's put 4G pitches down. He's he's looked at the the. Uh, the, the interaction that the players have within the, the changing rooms and, and the, at, the chain, at the training ground, uh, bringing the squad closer together, you know, making changes within the, the actual physicality of the building, you know, he, he seems to have he seems to have taken this whole, as he calls it, a project. He, he's looked at what can be done. He's, he's had the opportunity. He was only here for the, what ten games, but something clicked with him. He's, he's looked at he's looked at it and thought, you know, I, I can do things with this. He's got his own coaching team in uh, alongside him but he, he, he sees it I think very much very much as a, a sort of six-year plan that he's got and I think having been at Madrid and having been in Italy 
Now, having having had the the rapport with the fans at places like Liverpool, I think he's he's then seen the the flip side of it at Chelsea. But he's looked at Newcastle and he thought, and, and I hate that phrase that people use, the sleeping giant, if you like, um, you know, and, and it's it's something that sort of you know gets hung round round uh, Newcastle United's neck and has done for 60 years because we haven't had any physical success success in terms of trophies. But Rafa seems to have taken this and decided for himself. And when you hear him speaking, the man eats, sleeps and drinks football. There's no question about that. Very much in the in the same vein I'm getting from from the passion that you're showing for, for what you're doing over in America. And, and it was a breath of fresh air listening to you earlier saying how, you know, you're wanting to put something back here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was beginning to think you are 72, not 52, Barry. <laughs> 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 You've got plenty. Hey, There's some days I feel like that, don't worry about it. <laughs> 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 no, but I tell you, on, on, on Rafa, okay, that's a huge responsibility to take. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's, there's not many managers. Um, and, and he's going to have to wear so many different hats mm-hmm. because he's a He's an architect. He's a psychologist. He's mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a babysitter. He's somebody who's got a uh, he's got to be a politician. He's got to be all those things mm-hmm. for for his project. He's got to be all those things to pull all that together. But right in the middle of it, every training session has to be right, and every game has to be right, and the results have to be good ones. But all that around him, it is 24/7. Without all that stuff around, just working on the team and the opposition, that's 24-7. So, yeah. again, I, I admire him immensely. You know, the only other person who I can remember doing that, mm-hmm. and maybe Guardiola's got it at Man City, I don't know, maybe he's got that freedom. But, but, but obviously, with Rafa, he's been able, from a position of real strength, to negotiate that um, uh, authority, that single authority and single voice. So that's what he wanted. He's understood. You said he was there 10 games. Of, so he's, he's got an idea of the potential. And he's also got an idea of the amount of work that needs to be done. So for him to take that on, the only other person who, who springs to mind, that's exactly what Alex Ferguson had at Manchester United. Yeah. He's in charge of everything, right from, right from which players come in at what price to how much the agent got paid, right down to what type of tea the players drink at halftime or not. Mm-hmm. Everything. Right across the board. I remember to, to, the detail that he had, uh, right down... I remember when I was working for Sky, uh, at, and I was at Old Trafford, and Cole, he was at my new at the time, and his agent, Paul Strefford, um, who was my agent. So Paul Strefford's at the game, so I was meeting Coley and uh, Paul Strefford in the, in the players' lounge after the game for a, for a pint after and talk about the game. So I'd be on Sky. So I'd said something on Sky. Bear in mind, this is about 30 minutes after the game. I'd said something on Sky, which Alex Ferguson was not happy with. So I went down to go into the players' lounge. And the guy in the players' lounge said, you're not coming in. I said, no, that's not a problem. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just seeing Coley. And, and Paul, he said, no, you're not coming in. Gaffer said, you can't come in. What did you say, Barry? I'm telling you, should you? He's in charge of absolutely everything. And maybe that's what Rafa's got, but that means not much sleep on a night time. It's fantastic. That's that's an exciting thing to have. Well, it it certainly comes over that way with with the fans. I mean, you heard Lee earlier there the buzz and the excitement that mm-hmm. that is going around Newcastle at the moment. Uh, in the office, in the pub, before the match, midweek, if you happen to be in a pub for a pint, you know everybody's talking about 
Newcastle, everybody's talking about the next game and people are, you know, like yeah. Lee said, I'm, I'm upset, I'm disappointed there's not a midweek game this week because the games are yeah. coming thick and fast as well, you know, you, you haven't got time to turn. Uh, it, it's 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 cut to a plus. We've got a cup run as well, which is un, unheard of in, in the last few years. Yeah. Newcastle, you know, and again, that's the, the more the, the buzz again around the around the the, the, the club, you know. Um, and he's got, I mean, he's got Peter Beardsley there among his coaching mm-hmm. staff. Um, he's got uh, he's got Simon Smith as a goalkeeping mm-hmm. coach. Um, he's got Joe Joyce still at running the academy. Uh, he's doing a lot of work down there. He's got Dave Watson at the under 18s mm-hmm. But he's he's brought in, you know, he's brought with him, uh, you know, Marino, who was his fitness coach. He's got Ian Cathro, who stayed on board um, when uh, when um, McLaren left. Uh, he, he looked at, at, at Cathro, obviously he'd heard about him the time that he spent in Spain, and he thought, yeah, I'm going to keep that lad, because normally you would expect a coach to bring in, you know, lock, stock and barrel his own people. Um, he's, just, he's just slotted various people around what was there, and he's gradually changing the whole... Uh, feel around the club, the buzz that there is among the staff who work there is, is you know, the, the, the euphoria that you, you just, as you go up to St. James's Park, it is very, very much like it was in that sort of 92, 93 season. Um, you know, it's, it's exciting times. It's it's great. It's great to be a supporter. I feel for the Sunderland lads because, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, the. Sure, you do. <laughs> that's the, 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 you know, the, the, that's the way it is. But, you know, the, they must be, you know, must be tearing their hair out. And, and I think, yeah, the, the manager yeah. has had a cack hand, you know. Yeah, um, I've got, to, I've got but, to bring in. Sorry, sorry, Steve. I've got to bring in John, um, my Newcastle knight. He's the last call of the night. So I'm going to bring him in just so he can say hello to Barry and ask any questions before Barry has to go. So go ahead, John. Good evening, lads. Barry, Sam, Andrew, Barry, Steve. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, I'm fine, mate. How are we doing? I'm, uh, I'm getting by, getting by. Still breathing. Okay. I can tell you, I can tell. Hey, Barry, you're after two legends on the Newcastle. Thanks for the memories, mate. And, um, <laughs> just, um, Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Barry, um, about Rafa, and uh, what do you think of him um, staying in Newcastle, and uh, what do you think he'll bring next season if they mm-hmm. get back up to the Premier League? Yeah. Well, it's a different challenge next season, uh, and I think the important thing is to get there. Um, it would be great to go up as champions, but it's, it's uh-huh. bordering on irrelevant. you just got to get up there. you just got to get back into that um, elite <laughs> Uh, elite, elite side, elite side of, of, of football, and got to do that. And then he, look, he, his his qualifications, the way he's been with top clubs, he's been at. We know ah. he's he's more than uh, well equipped to uh, to handle that. But a little bit like Kevin Keegan, a little bit like when he took the the, the side from the old Division Division One into then it oh. became the Premier League, didn't it? It's 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 one project as we've talked about. But it's mm-hmm. two-step. It's definitely two-step. So take care of business now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, it starts, when it starts to look like possibly towards the end of the season going to go up, then you start thinking about your targets for the following season because the transfer targets are completely different going into the Premier League than if he's got another season in, in the championship. Yeah. So two-step process. Right now he's at the beginning of the first step. Nothing guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Started mm-hmm. well. So, so next year, if he gets there, he'll handle it. He'll handle it fine as long as he's being given the money to bring in the players that he wants. And it looks like he's got that secured. Absolutely, I think he's going to take us. This guy's going to take us to the top once again to the Premier League. 
I think this guy's going to take us to the third half. He'll probably get top eight next season. If he gets us off, I believe he's going to be top eight. Because I truly believe this man is going to get the players he wants. He's going to be good enough to keep us up there. And I love this guy because um, he's going to turn this club in one of the leagues within the next three years. I really do. I really do. It's an absolute well, I, I beast, mean, like, isn't it, Barry? Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's ambitious. I, I think it might be overly ambitious, and you could be right. <laughs> Um, and, you know, Leicester, Leicester, Leicester did really well, but obviously more than really well. But you look at the clubs now. I mean, next season, next season yeah. you're going to have Guardiola, who's been there uh, for one full season. Will Arsenal mm-hmm. then be there at Arsenal? Probably. Conte is doing a phenomenal job at Chelsea. They're just going to get stronger and stronger. Yeah. I'm not too sure Mourinho is going to be at, at, at Man United. Then you've then you've obviously got Pochettino, who was a fantastic coach, fantastic manager. They're gonna they're gonna be up there. Everton under Koeman, he'll have had them for another season. So mm-hmm. now now I've been now I've already talked about six teams, and to expect Newcastle to come up with a with a, a new influx of say five or six new players, expect them to gel together together quickly to start winning games in in the Premier League yeah. immediately to get them into the top eight. I think that's really, really ambitious, and I think I'm maybe unrealistic, and maybe I'm maybe I'm not being uh, uh, Kevin Keegan optimistic enough about. It, but to to just to anchor it, if you can get in the Premier League and then stay in it uh, mid-table-ish mm-hmm. uh, for one season just to consolidate and then see what you need to build on it for the following season, I think yeah. that's a great game plan. And if he gets that, I think he's done really well. Absolutely. I totally agree with that, Barry. I really do. Well, thanks, thanks, John, for coming on. I appreciate you coming on tonight. It's been the last caller of this evening, but I know Barry's been on for quite a while now. Uh, the, last, the last question I've got before maybe uh, Neil or Steve jumps in. What's next for, Bar- what's next for Barry? Is, are you, are you, what's the plan? Um, well, I'm, I'm talking to clubs at the moment, so my best, okay. my best way forward is to make the, the right decision the right decision which puts me in the, in the environment where I feel I can contribute the most, where I feel I can be the most help to. Mm-hmm. Hey, and it doesn't necessarily mean being a head coach or a manager. It might be going as a technical director or, or an assistant coach. Because quite frankly, a title, to, I don't give a damn about a title. Yeah. Um, from, from that point of view, I just, I'll just be in, in a club that's, uh, <coughs> that's making progress, like I said, with good people in a really good environment. Um, and that's got a, a, a winning mentality, and everybody working for the for the same cause. So I don't know where that's going to be. Is it going to be in California? Maybe not. Is it, is it going to be in a different state? Possibly. Is it going to be in a different country? Possibly. Uh, I'm not. I'm not slamming any doors. There's there's plenty of time for me to make a decision. Uh, the MLS doesn't finish for another few weeks, so that. There's still eight clubs in in the uh, in the playoffs in the MLS, so they've got business to take care of. But uh, yeah, we'll see. It's it's exciting. It's really exciting. I'm I'm as energised by football now as I ever have been, and and I'm I'm coming at it from a different point of view, um, more of a, a tactical overview point of view. But it's it's still very rewarding. And, and listen, I'm being selfish, extremely selfish, because football. Is an unreal world. It's 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 for anybody who hasn't been in it. It's completely different from the real world. The real world is not a good place to be. Ask any <laughs> ask any, any football person or football fan. The real world 
the real world's not the best place to, to be. You're better off in in a football world. That's the best place to be. So I'm being selfish. I want to. I, I will be in it, and I want to be in the right environment. And the kids will obviously want to stay in LA, I presume. <laughs> well, my ki- my kids are 30 and 27, so they can oh, do whatever yeah. the hell they want. <laughs> 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 Which is what they've done all their lives, Barry, and then they tell me after. So, so yeah, the kids, 30 and 27, they're, they're completely and utterly independent. It's just, you know, they're, they're, they're only 15 minutes from us, so when they need help or not, we're always there. Any quest, final questions for, for Barry and uh, Steve? I was just going to say, Barry, uh, with going back to Bob Bradley, he said before tonight's game as a manager <laughs> that you always think about players coming back uh, to their former clubs with a point to prove. And then yes. Wilfred Bronny scored after three minutes. So he got that one right, didn't he? Um, oh, my look, word. Yeah. Luckily for yeah, him, Wayne Routledge scored after eight. Yeah. Coming to Castle, Wayne Routledge. So it's one all at the minute. But hey, sound words from Bob there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neil? Yeah. Well, he's, he's, exper- he's an experienced manager. Oh, well, yeah. You, you, yeah, i tell you what was interesting, though. I watched, before the games last weekend, mm-hmm. I watched Jurgen Klopp's um, pre-match Liverpool. interview. Uh, and obviously, and I watched Bob Bradley's, and Jurgen Klopp's. I mean, he's, he's experienced, he's in charge, he's a strong personality. His team's going well. He's been with him now for uh, for long enough that he's he's confident he's going in the right direction. And just the way that managers handle themselves and the way to, uh, the way to convey themselves. But Bob Bradley's Bob Bradley is uh, he's he's under pressure. Um, it's and I I applaud him because it's a it's a very brave thing to do. He knows, he knows deep down that he's capable of doing it. He just needs a little bit of luck. So I, I hope he does well. I wish him all the very best. And he's, he's going to need a little, lots of help and a little bit of luck, but he's going to have to be resilient. There's no doubt about that. Neil? I just want to thank Barry very much for giving me just over two hours of absolutely <laughs> fabulous radio and being <laughs> able to talk about everything and anything related to all the clubs he's been at and have a real good blether for it. Mm-hmm. And fill the airwaves with some good crack. And thank you very much for coming on, Barry. Thank you for meeting. No, my what, pleasure. Uh, my pleasure, Jens. My John, pleasure. tell you what, Neil, uh, it, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll probably, knowing, knowing the, the press guys over here, it'll probably be all over the Evening Chronicle for the next week and a half, won't it? Aye, probably. There's reporters in Newcastle that will manage, manage to dissect every single word that Barry said so far. And his phone's never going to stop ringing now. He's going to you tell him, two LA Californian style, tell him I've got my attorneys on standby, so I'm ready to sue anybody for anything. Any wrong words, I'm ready to sue. We've got a team ready. Make sure they don't reverse the charges on you as well, Barry. Right. Actually, I have no, to I'm say, Barry, the, I'm no, stunned. I'm, no, I'm, I'm ringing from the next door neighbour's house. They, they popped out to take a dog off from so I'm going in for a cup of tea. <laughs> John? Quickly before we we left, back, before we finish the show. No, I'm he's gone. Left. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, quickly. <laughs> no, I just I just wishing on Barry all the best sort of thing. What he decides to do, and um, I hope he gets there where he want to be in California, and I hope it does well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, just stay there for a minute, Barry. I'm going to I'm going to end the show, but I've just got to have a have a quick chat before we finish. But I'm going to end the music. Thanks so much for Barry Venison. Been an absolute star tonight. He hasn't checked his Twitter, but the fence mm-hmm. will. Thanks a lot, Barry, but stay there. My pleasure. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, Barry. Cheers, Barry.
got nothing.